What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nuts. <laughs> TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. Oh, it's semantics! It's a Triton, have you conquered the great alpha male yet? This is BS! This sucks! I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn! Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 35. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. This episode, we're talking about lockdown 2005 in the month of April 2005. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined by my definitely not sleepy co-host Liam Jones. Liam, hi. Hi. That's energetic. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm real energy. <laughs> we hit the record button and he has come in fully coherent and energetic just as you would hope and expect out of our podcast. Yep, I'm going to be eloquent. I'm going to mm. enunciate. I'm not going to slur my words. This is going to be in depth and... Ah, oh, fuck, I slurred in depth. <laughs> it is in fact going to be in depth. That is what we're going to be doing here. Yeah, this isn't... This is going to go good. Gonna be a top-notch, thrilling podcast. How are you doing, other than your sleepiness? I am doing good. How are you doing? You know, I'm not that bad. I fell asleep at a reasonable hour last night. I am now up at a reasonable hour. Uh, and I say before we talk for three hours, and then I fall asleep at a horrible hour. See how that goes. So the sleeping pattern's okay. Um, I had some pancakes today because it's pancake day over here, and that excites me. Do you have pancake day? Yeah, it's on Ash Wednesday. Really? Yeah. Because we do it on Shrove Tuesday. We do it, the, the, like, today, at the start of Lent. Maybe I'm wrong. Pancake <laughs> day. Oh, it is a Tuesday. Fuck me, I guess. Which means you missed it. I was yesterday! I missed pancake day! <laughs> you were deprived of your pancakes. I'm oh, today is Ash Wednesday. <laughs> you gonna get ashes on your forehead? Um, I used to. I was gonna say, yeah, you went to a religious school, so I assume you had ashes inflicted upon you. Yeah, they, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Very cultish behavior for a school. It absolutely, positively is. 
I'll stand in a line and put a little X on our heads. We all liked it because it got us out of class. Yeah, the funny thing, it was it was optional in secondary school for us, but it was the exact same thing. And it's like, anybody who would like ashes for Ash Wednesday, go to class, go to the assembly area. It's like everyone would leave just to get out of class. It doesn't matter about religion. Yeah, like when it was up like through the middle school part of my school, it was like compulsory and you had to go. But I do remember it changing to like you could choose. But like everyone would just leave the classroom because why wouldn't you get out of a class? It's the exact same reason because most people like were when you're c- communed or confirmed when you do communion or confirmation here. The general tradition is then you are, are fostered around to your family's houses and all your aunts and uncles and all your extended family give you give you a little card with a little bit of money. And it's like the only reason any of those children care about communion or confirmation is money. So the religion does have it worked out to be fair. Give people incentives other than Jesus. Other than the eternal saving of your soul listen my soul is beyond saving i'm irredeemable would you like to finally talk about ant-man oh ant-man because i brought it up on like two separate shows before and he's like no i'm saving it so so we have reached the point where you can speak about ant-man freely i fucking hate ant-man you see before you start like i i saw it and i have no feelings none none positive or negative and I talked about this in the watch along that I think having complete lack of any feelings towards a movie makes it even more irredeemable because movies are designed to provoke emotional responses from the people watching them. What is the point of making media if the entire time someone's watching the media they don't give a shit about anything? Like it completely defeats the purpose of making something if they don't care. I'd rather hate something. As I just sat there and it just washed over me. In a way that's just like, I'm taking all of this in. I understand it. I don't feel anything. I just I just don't feel a single solitary thing for your Ant-Man movie. And now I will never think about it again after I have to talk to, to, to you about it for about two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's an awful movie. It fails in almost every respect mm. as a movie. Like, So the benefits I give it is I think it's set up Kang well. Um, there's some spoilery things that I think it did well, but outside of being a good launching pad for the next phase of movies, I think that this movie was completely irredeemable by itself. I think the movie sucks. I think it fails as a, like, it fails with its writing because it's not interesting. It fails with its characters because you're rooting for the antagonist the whole time, the whole time. I think that as I was watching this, the, um, there was a realization dawned on me that, Marvel writers must be so thoroughly handicapped with what they have to write, and they must essentially just be puppets for the studio at this point, because nothing that they do is creative at all. It's just paint by the numbers, what's the easiest way to get this out and make decent money off of it. There's no heart behind any of it. The CGI, despite the fact that it's investing a bunch and bunch, like millions and millions of dollars in this, this shit, looks like awful. Like, it, there's been no improvement in it at all. The, like, the world looked kind of cool, and then the actual designs of everything looked bad. So I can see in the concept art, this stuff was probably really cool. The whole, there's a whole revolution subplot, which is really bad, and like, because it's so forced, and then it's forgotten about for like half the movie, and you could have just made the whole thing, like, that plot and then it would have been a lot more interesting i have a big problem with the fact that marvel movies first acts are, the, are now just the first 42 marvel movies instead of doing a proper three-act structure 
I the inconsistency in powers throughout the movie is really fucking annoying, and they just do the same ending as the other two Ant-Man movies. I'm fucking... I hate this movie. I left... This is like one of those few movies that I, that I left, and I was like... I had a palpable boil in my blood from how much I hated it. And it was not... I went to the cheapest screening for the least amount of money, and I still feel ripped off. Yeah, it's funny that there's moments in the film where Kang can just, like, hold people in, his, in the oh, air. Don't, don't get me... He, he has fucking, like, force powers. And then, like everything... The final fight is just boom, lasers. I got two lasers. Look at my two lasers. That's all I fucking do. Despite the fact that I was flicking people around and holding them up. Fucking. <sighs> you know what? I'd even push back on your one positive. <laughs> mm. That it set Kang up well, which I think independently it did. But also, if you've seen Loki, now you're right. You can just skip this. I think it added elements to the character. But elements were, without getting into spoilers, not going to see again. <laughs> I think we are, though. That's the difference. Mm. I guess it's not a spoiler to say there are thousands of Kangs. We know that from Loki. Again. We, we, we also just know that from 50 years of comic books. Yeah, but even if you're just going into these movies or this universe, it's like the big reveal that there's lots of this guy came in Loki. So, <laughs> yeah. I have been a hater of these movies for, for quite a while now. To the degree that I think people think I hate all these movies. And I'm like, no, I liked nearly all of them up until Endgame. And I thought Endgame was like a borderline masterpiece of what they were trying to do. Not in terms of it like being like a real serious film. But like the culmination of a comic book universe. Perfect. They nailed it. And then everything after Endgame. Like I thought I'd feel a little like worn out. And I didn't think I'd entirely care coming out of Endgame. But then I didn't really anticipate the degree to which I just like, I don't care about any of these movies or these people. Like, I even watched Black Panther last night, and I made the mistake of watching it, like, on a, a relatively small screen in my room, and I just, I couldn't pay attention to it. I just couldn't, it could not hold my attention, and I'm like, I've got to see these films in the cinema from now on, because sitting at home watching this, I just completely zone out, because I don't care about any of these people anymore. I think this phase would be borderline irredeemable if it didn't have a slew of good TV. Mm. The... The movie side of this phase really let it down. Well, Ant-Man is the start of a new one, which was a, a news to me. It's like, oh, phase four is over? Yeah, the Black Panther was the last one. Why even call it a phase? I think they they knew and they were they're trying to get out of it. <laughs> mm. But yeah, the TV was the only good part of this entire thing. The movie stunk. Except like <laughs> I liked Black Panther. That's about the only one. I liked Spider-Man, but not because it was like a good movie. <laughs> I liked the experience of Spider-Man, but I, I don't think it's a good movie at all. I've already talked about this on the show. Yeah, so let's talk about something you did like. Let's talk about the great Muda. Yes, um, he is retired. He had his final Tokyo Dome show in front of 30,000 people, eat shit, Wrestle Kingdom. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I it's, it, was, it was probably the best show of the year. Mm. I, I don't know what, like, Wrestle Kingdom, was, I don't think it was better. It's just... This gave me, like, those... The, it's like a warm blanket coming over me and reminding me of what Japanese pro wrestling is. Mm. That's what this show felt like. And it was the loudest pro wrestling crowd I've heard since the COVID restrictions went down. Uh, Interpromotional warfare all over it. And then, you know, a big, grandiose retirement ceremony at the end. Which is... It is kind of a perfect encapsulation of... 
Japanese pro wrestling in a way. And it reminded me why Japanese pro wrestling is better than all other pro wrestling. And is better than everything else. It's just the best. So I watched like six minutes of this show. Mm. I watched the Chono and Muta match. Yes. Which absolutely rocked. Thumbs up, like three and a half stars. <laughs> and I and I love the fact that like Chono clearly was like, what the fuck you? <laughs> mm, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and he still did his Shining Wizard and his STF and everyone was happy. He did, he did the Shining Black, thank you. And I also watched Muta's entrance. It's just the best, isn't it? Which, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's on YouTube. Like, go, just go immediately watch it. It's nine minutes long. <laughs> but, well, the actual entrance is about three or four. But it, it does, it did a thing that I was like, how has no one ever done this before? Because it's like so blatantly obvious that surely you would have thought somebody would have done this, but I don't think anybody has. Mm. I think I just assumed someone else had done it. Yeah, but before Muda came out, they played a montage of all of his old theme songs. They did a theme medley. And my favorite part was like seeing which ones the crowd did not give a single fuck about. And then they played like his 90s New Japan theme and they're like, oh, fuck, that's his best theme. And then everyone went, N-W-O. <laughs> if you were thought, oh, the Tokyo Dome in, in 2023 will all unite saying the words N-W-O in 2023. Uh, I don't think anybody would have taken that bet. But uh, they did. Yeah. What a great idea, though, to just do a medley of the theme songs to encapsulate his career. Because everyone loves wrestling themes and everyone loves Muto. So... I can't believe nobody's ever done that before. And maybe if somebody has, let us know. But I don't think I can think of an instance. And there's some issues where, like, you know, people have been in different companies, so you might not be able to get theme song rights and all that, which I don't think they gave a fuck about because they played some Final Countdown on this, and they absolutely positively did not license that. Well, they may have actually had it in the license because Cyber Agent, like, just has that kind of stuff. Like, oh, they are they a do. media company, yeah. Um, like, they may just be in, like, their previous, like, no, I'm sure they didn't license it for this, but they may have had the license. That being said, they were very sparse in how much Final Countdown they played. It was, like, four seconds. Yeah, so, they they may have had the rights, but still didn't even want to, like, fuck around with trying, knowing how how Europe is very protective of that song. Yeah, both the continent and the band. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then he came out, and the fucking Noah stage is, oh. I don't know, every time like a new stage debuts and I'm disappointed, I, that's like, the Noah stage is what I'm hoping it will be. Where like, everything about that stage, and, and particularly how they light that stage, is oh, just and, insanely cool. And it's, the, and it's cool. the fact they have that 4K camera just for entrances, really. Like, they'll mm. cut to it during the match, but like, they bring it out basically to do the entrance shots with. But my favorite thing about Noah production that gets a little maybe over overlooked because of how great the like, ring production is is I love the fact that they're the ones keeping the pre-match VTR alive. Mm. How cool was this pre-match VTR? With Keiji Muto sitting on a chair with, as a projector plays his old matches. It's just, again, it's the little touch. It's the reason WWE drive me nuts. Oh, because they could be doing something similar? Because they have all the money and resources in the world. And they do nothing anymore. Like, like, even as a company who used to be known for producing some of the most memorable pre-match VTRs of all time. Like, the, like, there's so many WWE promo packages you can cite that people absolutely adore. Even, like, going back to relatively recent times with stuff like the, the Daniel Bryan Monster package. Mm. And 
Now they just don't. They don't do any of that shit anymore. It's just a bland, boring-looking show. You have so much money. Why aren't you doing cool shit with your money? They won't even spend money on making cool trunks. They won't even spend money on the fucking CFO themes. <laughs> so we yeah. just get shitty-ass production music. They're such a cheap, boring company now. Yeah. And then you watch Noah with the fucking coolest stage you've ever seen in your life. Every, like, little lighting part for all of, like, all of the different Keiji Muto themes had a different lighting setup. And they were all fucking awesome. <laughs> just for, like, that, that, that two minutes that they just played songs, they had completely different lighting rigs for all of them. And they were so cool. And then I watch every other wrestling production. And I'm like, why aren't you trying? They had different, they had different lighting rigs for everyone on the show, Garrett. I I just I just hate how it like I don't think it's lazy. I think it's just like effortless. They're not trying, but not in a lazy way, just in a lack of creativity way. It's just like what's the easiest way we can do this? Churn it out, bang bang, done. <laughs> Giant screens, font on screen, job done. <laughs> yeah. And then you just watch Noah and it's like it's so cool. It makes wrestling feel like the biggest thing on earth. And it's fucking Noah. <laughs> Yeah. Ugh. So yeah. The the six minutes of that show I watched Rock. I will watch the the main matches for it, but I had to get show notes done for this show so I couldn't watch it today. This is really I'm like abandon the show notes and watch no one instead. Yeah. I don't I don't get what the, the the internal debate was. You know what? We can put on our own wrestling shows with phenomenal production. If thousands of you <laughs> go to mm. tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me and subscribe to our Patreon where you can get tons of extra bonus content, including our current ongoing PWG, PWG review show, Gorilla Warfare. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a spread his brain virus to me. Gorilla Radio is the name of that show. We're currently a few episodes in. You can listen to our most recent episode on World's Finest, and our upcoming episode will be on DDT4 from 2012. We also have our latest episode of Rain Takers is up there talking The New Beginning from 2013, talking extensively about the influence of both Alex Shelley and Prince Devitt for two very, very different reasons. Mm, they're both fun shows. Yeah, all our previous Shows are up there waiting for you to listen to, including our full Rinka King show, our full Monday Night War show, 2010 Monday Night War, Monday Night War that matters, <laughs> our full GFW show, our full WSX show, all of our drafts, all of our end of year awards, all of our watch alongs, all of our star ratings, all of our show notes, where there is also an ad free version of the show for just a dollar. Wow, that's so much value, Garrett. It is. Like, there is over 100 pieces of exclusive audio on Patreon now, which is kind of wild. I'm going to go there right now and pay $10. Oh, thank you. You get it for free, but I'll take the money. Actually, no, you'll get five of it back. <laughs> nice. Jeez, it's a great deal for you. But tnhad.com, patreon.com slash kidding me, where you can support the show and get an absolute ton for it. This is the, 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 the upside of waiting to subscribe to our Patreon because there's more and more stuff waiting for you there the longer you wait, but you shouldn't wait longer because there's lots of stuff there now. I've just made a bad sales pitch there, Liam. I've, I'm trying to walk it back. Yeah, walk it back. In what has sadly become a reoccurring trend on episodes of this show, uh, we have to talk about somebody who died again. Oh, hell. So Jerry Jarrett passed away in between our episodes, the co-founder of the very company we're talking about. Yeah, uh, someone whose book gave us many an insight in the early shows. Oh, his book is the best because one, it gives you 
as you said, like an insight into the founding of a wrestling company and Jerry's like day-to-day thought process as that company was being founded. If you've never read it, the development of NWATNA, something like that. It's basically his journal, his diary, as he was actually going through the process of the first year of TNA. So the entirety of 2002. So the six months leading up to the start of the company, and then the six months of the start of the company. And it is like just a fascinating insight into like starting a company like that. Weird personal dynamics with your son. A deep, relentless hatred of Vince Russo, which is perhaps my favorite part of it. And then like the dealing with the just tumultuous first six months that was TNA filled with like fraud and uh, investors pulling out and bad shows <laughs> and uh, of course TNA being bought in the end so like I don't know you can say a lot about TNA you sure can and you can say a lot about the business plan behind TNA and whether or not it was a very good idea to launch a weekly pay-per-view series it wasn't you can also say a great deal about the quality of the early TNA shows and, frankly, beyond. They were bad. We've said a lot. We have 34 other episodes saying a great deal about all of them. But when you look at the wrestling landscape that the Jarrett's launched into, which was total and utter monopoly from the World Wrestling Federation, it was a pretty large fool's errand to even try. To even launch, because we already had Jimmy Hart's company backed by Hulk Hogan that flopped. We already had the World Wrestling All-Stars that flopped. So people, it's not like TNA were the first to try. It was already proof that like there's, there's not really a market here anymore for a second wrestling company. And through stubbornness and pigheadedness, they brute forced their way into creating a second company that did provide people jobs for now going on 21 years. And your first thing might be to say, oh, but the company went broke in two months. Which, yes, yes it did. But without the Jarrett's, you don't get the Carters. Like, the Carters are only in wrestling through a personal connection to the Jarrett's. So if you don't have the Jarrett's taking that leap first, you don't have the Carters putting money into wrestling. And for basically 15 years, you don't have a a well-paying, for as much as TNA were well-paying, but even like by by the peak of the spike years, they were offering good six-figure salaries to some wrestlers. So well-paying jobs in wrestling. And that's ultimately like, Jerry Jarrett has a a much larger influence than TNA, if you want to go back to further his career when he has much more successful territories. When at like 25, he's opening up territories in going to wrestling wars that upset me where it's just like i was because thinking about like that 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 like what he was doing at what age in his life because he was a wrestler but yeah it's like i haven't achieved anything and i'm 30 now you have a top tier podcast that's in the top 10 percent or whatever Oh yeah, we are in like the top 25% of wrestling patrons. So th- thank you for that, everybody out there. And help us get into the... Because there's like, whenever Brandon releases that, there's like 25% and 10% or something. And we've never been in the 10%. So the main reason you should go to tnachat.com or patreon.com. Because we want to see our name on the list. Yeah, we want to see their name on the list. And we want to be in the nice part of the pie chart. Yeah. But as I say, like you, you can say all you want about TNA and its business plan and its product... But without that leap, without Jarrett and Jarrett jumping into the wrestling business and Bob Ryder, though he didn't put money in, you don't get the Carters and you don't get a number two in wrestling for a very long time. And like there would have been a number two. It would be naive to think nobody would have tried to jump into that space. 
but nobody with money would have, and it would have flopped, just like TNA did very quickly, just like WWA did, and just like that Jimmy Hart company did. So the, if you can listen elsewhere for, I think, deeper retrospectives on Jerry Jarrett. Well, of course, we're talking more about Jerry on this show. But it's going to be sort of a continuous retrospective. Yeah, because he does have a, a very big falling out with Jeff coming up that we haven't covered yet. So, which they they did reconcile uh, later in life, which was quite nice. But yeah, J- Jerry Jarrett has passed away. But too many people are dying. That's the third episode in a row we've had to do some kind of memoriam to. We're getting like one a week. Yeah, and I was thinking about that, where it's like TNA is twenty one now, which is pretty old, and yeah. we're go- we're increasingly like moving into the phase where like the wrestlers I watched growing up are getting older and older. And it's going to be like the sad wrestling fans who are like 50 now. It's like all the, my faves are dying. It's like, no, I don't want to get to that age where all my favorite wrestlers are going to die. That is the, the grim process of aging, isn't it, Liam? I wouldn't know. Uh, you are but a, a spry, youthful young fellow. Yeah, for sure. I can't bounce youthful and young off each other, by the way. It's bad English. I should have chosen a better synonym. Mm. Enthusiastic, perhaps? Energetic? Hmm... Mm. That gets us in to the news for this month, starting with a Torch Talk interview with Big Sexy Kevin Nash, (laughs) in which Big Kev pulled absolutely no punches about his current run in TNA. My favorite quote in which he talks about, it's like, uh, he's asked, are you committed to TNA? And he says, no, because to me, it's, I mean, I'm 0-5. Four of those were with Dusty Booking. I think in that time, his son is 5-0. and It gets to the point where, you know, I'm not a mark, but I can't work for a company that books matches and doesn't book finishes. <laughs> if you saw the booking of Triton versus Monty Brown, his booking is still cutting edge. Laughs. Motherfucker, I saw that shit that night and I went, you know what? I don't care what Daniels and AJ do after it. It's not going to pull this pay-per-view out. That is a fucking back into the left Kennedy headshot where it's the emergency room and we're just going to make you comfortable until you die because it didn't matter what happened after that, let alone our fucked up finish and everything else that happened. I love you, Kev. This is a bad... Who's still working for this company? <laughs> this is a man who does not give a single solitary shit. He is just going off. He is popping off, throwing shots at Dusty. We'll talk a lot about Dusty on this episode. But there, there's a lot more in the show notes. And honestly, you should go read the full Torch talk because it's absolutely tremendous. Like the, the first question he's asked, like why he starts working for TNA and uh, does he feel like he's getting something out of it? And like he basically says that he's working for TNA because Jeff Jarrett's a good friend of his. And when he was finishing up with WCW, Jarrett was like, hey, come over to TNA. And Nash was like, sorry, I got to go to WWE. And he felt kind of bad about that. So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the TNA appearances. And then he goes on like a, a long non sequitur about how his first car trip had Sid, Dutch Mantel, and Iron Sheik in it. And then talks about how Iron Sheik called him a jabroni and he was smoking a joint and asking what Nash wants out of his career. And Nash, tremendous interview. He seems like the kind of guy who you could just sit there, literally ask the smallest of prompts and he will just go off. He's a natural speaker. He is. What a man. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at some of the highlights as in in this interview, and my one of the parents was like, uh, "Has AJ Styles impressed you?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, Kev. 
Yeah, and like, in fairness, like that—that's kind of a leading question from Wade Keller because he's like, "Oh, he's not a vanilla midget," like you used to say about Malenko Benoit. Gotcha journalism. And whereas Nash is like, "No, the vanilla midget comment—that was at a different point in my life. I've got a much greater appreciation for those guys today." The thing that killed me was watching Daniels and AJ work before me and Jeff. I mean, you talk about your ass tightening up. I'm watching that going, fucking hell, this is good. This is really good. I'm watching, and I'm not even thinking about a spot I've got to do or anything, because he's in the main event, by the way, right after, against Jarrett. He had a better match, so don't worry, Kev. (laughs) I asked how long they were going after the time limit. They said three minutes. I said, well... I guess I should get up and stretch. I'm 45 years old. I gotta quit being a fucking market watching their match. I didn't remember anything we were doing. I figured, though, it'll come to me. We got out there. I don't know if you can see it on tape or not, because I haven't watched it back, but I looked at Jeff in the ring and said, I'm blank, call it. Well, to be fair, not a bad guy to be in there to call it with. Ah, uh, Double J. Yeah, Double J. He, he, like, he, that's a man who can call a match on the fly. Yeah, he, he even like starts talking about how Everyone said his match with, with Jarrett was good. And then he's like, you fucking marks, I worked you. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, it was all smoke and mirrors. Jeff created all the movement. We used the run-ins and everything we could possibly throw in. I had asked Jeff if I could have a couple of his matches on DVD they'd done lately against Monty and a couple of other guys. And then Jarrett sent him the bad blood match against Shawn Michaels he did. We sat down and went, what do you see? I looked at him and said, what the fuck? I've got a legal pad right here. I've written down every fucking prop we could use. And I had them on one side of the page and on the other were all the human bodies we could use. He goes, well, what have you got? And we just took all those pieces, plugged them into a match and that's what we did. It was the same thing with Billy. I can get 45 minutes out of a screwdriver. I don't think anyone's ever done that before. Well, um, you know what, Kev? That's what working a match is. I don't know. I don't get what your point is. Like, uh, the people thought it was good. I'm gonna, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what all matches are, is making, the perceiving, is trying to trick the audience into thinking that it's a good fight. Tricking them into thinking you're trying, when in fact you're just throwing every gimmick at the table and hoping it works. That's also wrestling, man. (laughs) It's the best guide for you. Yeah, apparently so. So he then starts talking about whether or not TNA is hip. (laughs) Yes, is it hip to it? And Nash says, I mean, my whole thing has always been, alright, I'll talk to guys. I was watching BET the other day. Of course. Who watches BET? Well, I do, because they got raw underground rap guys who come on there. You can get some really incredible ideas. There's a magazine called Herb. It's an urban magazine. Nobody reads that magazine. I get a subscription to it. I read it. (laughs) There are so many things in so many magazines. When was the last time these guys watched real life or paid attention to pop culture? I don't watch that shit, they say. You know why? Once again, it's because you're in the wrestling bubble. You don't understand. Right now, they're doing the thing with Batista. Batista's starting to pose like famous bodybuilder Frank Zane. I told Vince when I was there a long time ago, you've got to realize that in this culture that we're in, the two biggest babyfaces are a crooked cop on the shield and Tony Soprano. Those are babyfaces in our society. Anything that isn't near that, fuck it. That's it. Those are your babyfaces. And the heel is Glenn Close. She comes in to control the fucking corrupt clop. A corrupt cop, and she's a fucking heel. There's your society. That's what we've got to book with. He's not wrong. He is not wrong. Now, you could say two things about that. One, his run with the book in WCW was terrible. Yes. <laughs> so, he's also not really in touch. And two, you could read it as him angling for the book here, 
specifically attacking Dusty. Which, you know what, there's probably worse things they could do. I'd, I feel like a, a more detached from the ring, mm-hmm. Kevin Nash 2005 booking is probably stronger than WCW booking. Where he tended to book himself stronger than he perhaps should have. Yeah, like, I feel like there's a, a degree of separation which would come from this a little more. I do appreciate the utmost honesty. <laughs> yeah. And like, he's Kevin Nash. What are they going to do? You know? Yeah. He's Kevin Nash. They'll probably use him again. They do use him again. Because <laughs> this is the end of his run for now. Obviously, we'll talk about how he is pulled out of a lockdown match because he has a staph infection. And then he he's filming movies for a while, so he's not available. So he, he's kind of done for a while, and he's just like, fuck it. <laughs> and like, it, he's not alone. There is pressure mounting on Dusty that we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, this big Kev interview is absolutely sensational. I should listen to his podcast. Do you listen to his podcast? I listened to like a clip, but I don't remember. I mean, it's just, it's Kevin Nash talking to the dude that he used to do kayfabe commentaries with. So Mm. I imagine it's good. Those two always had a good chemistry together. Chemistry together. God, I'm I'm really struggling here. I'm going to try my best. (laughs) You're fine. Old K Nash is going through it right now, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's had a tough time himself. Yeah. Between his best friend and his son. Big Kev. And yeah, he is is famous for shooting interviews, isn't he? (laughs) Oh, as a kid, one of my my go tos. If I if I saw that like, Kevin Nash was doing a a shoot, I'm putting it on. Mm. Due to his his sharp wit and his utmost honesty, it was a refreshing wave in an uh, in a shoot interview culture at the time. And it's a kind of bummer because like on TNA, he was just being silly and goofy, and he kind of hasn't been that for a couple months. And he's just kind of been a serious guy who stands around and brawls and doesn't even really cut promos. I can't remember the last time he had a microphone on one of these shows. So it's kind of a bummer that even on, on the show itself, he's he's kind of not doing much. Yeah, well, he's in the Jared verse. That's true. You get sucked in there and you become a bland, horrible wrestler who nobody could possibly care about. Mm-hmm. Somehow designed to serve just the NWA champion. <laughs> Oh, Double J. TNA officials met with Spike TV officials in New York about a potential deal to replace WWE programming when its contract <laughs> expires in the fall. Jarrett told several people that he was optimistic with the reception he received at the meeting and excited about the potential for a deal. Spike TV spokesman downplayed the meeting, telling The Torch, Spike TV executives are always meeting with various entertainment and sports-related organizations. We met with TNA, but that does not translate into a deal. Sources say that any potential deal is in the preliminary stages of being considered, but is a definite possibility that Spike officials will look further into TNA as a content provider. I don't think it's going to happen. Nah, company's going to go under. They're going to lose their TV deal. They said we would never get on Spike. (laughs) That was more JR than Jeff, but I got it. JR probably did that promo too. (laughs) The goal of the Jarrett's from the outside of TNA was to end up head-to-head on Monday nights with Raw on a national network. That that always works. I am less... Why? <laughs> Why? Because everyone lives in the 90s and no one can do their own thing. Why are people obsessed with this idea? <laughs> like, why? Let's split the audience. Because, like, it was a cosmic fluke that the Monday Night Wars worked. Yeah. Because you know what happens 99 times of 100 when two shows that have similar audiences go head-to-head, Liam? They both lose viewers. They both lose viewers! They split the audience! Mm. Whereas you got, like, the very rare lightning-striking instance of two shows that went to head-to-head 
and forced innovation out of both of them in a way that grew the audience. If you want to be the competition, just be the competition. You don't need to do it on the same day. And the thing is, if you don't go head-to-head, that means WWE fans can make a choice. They can just watch you. They don't have to not watch Raw. Because it's it's much harder to get a WWE fan to watch TNA if they also have to stop watching Raw in order to do it. Mm. Whereas, if you're on another day, perhaps, said WWE fan can watch both Raw and TNA. Then you end up with more viewers. Then the TV company gives you more money. Then you're alive. Then you become a more viable real company. And then you stay on Spike forever because you don't break their rules about bringing people in to book it. (laughs) And then CC them in emails. Uh, Even when you look, like, I'm sure people might argue, it's like, but the most watched episode of TNA was head to head. I'd say that was Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Yeah, what if you put that episode on Thursday... Maybe they would have done even bigger numbers. <laughs> I feel bad for any of the people that were forced to see that show. Well, the first one wasn't bad. The everyone after was terrible. The Jan 4 show had at least some energy to it, but the entire Monday Night Run was awful, and you can hear all about it. TNHN.com. I just winked at the non-existent camera. They they heard it. They heard that eyelash move. Uh, eyelash? Okay. I guess eyelid would make more noise than an eyelash. I don't think any of them made noise, per se. Unless a single solitary eyelash fell out of your eye in that very moment and right onto the microphone, into one of like the gaps in the microphone, right to the <laughs> core of the microphone, and they heard that. Then my microphone lights on fire. <laughs> Multiple TNA sources say the company is on the verge of announcing a new TV deal in the United States. By on the verge, they mean in the next, like, I don't know, six months. <laughs> yeah. The announcement could come within the next week or two or six months, but they are bound by a confidentiality agreement. Once again, WGN is in discussions, Spike is in discussions, and obviously FSN is also in discussions. There is, like, WGN is probably the... the well, actually, no, because Jarrett goes to FSN and says, Hey guys, we've been doing okay. How would you feel about, instead of us paying you, we could get money from you? And FSN were like, hmm... That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting proposition, Jeff. But how about you continue to pay us? Because we like the money. Jeff's like, but we would we would like the money. And if we have money, we can continue to run shows. But FSN were like, yeah, it's a good argument. Mm. But also, what if you continue to give us money? So we both got a show that does ratings and money. Uh, the problem there mm. is... That if we keep giving you money, we will eventually run out of money. Right. And then we won't have a show, which means you won't have a show. But have you considered? Hmm. Your show's ratings aren't actually that good. Hey, fuck you. (laughs) And that's how the meeting went. (laughs) So it's mostly the money thereafter, not the ratings. Yeah. I think that is exactly how that meeting went. (laughs) Yeah, I think we we perfectly reenacted it. And scene. So they were at an impasse where TNA wanted money to put the show on the air. But they weren't at an impact. Oh. Uh-huh. FSN were like, um, no, we like the money you get us. So basically at that stage, it became very clear that no matter what, FSN is done. So come May, come when that deal is up. They're going their separate ways. 
And then there are two in the conversation. WGN, which were also in the conversation, if you remember back when they went off on FSN in the first place. And Spike, Spike TV, who have also just dropped WWE programming. Garrett, who do you think is going to win? I think it's going to be another network. I think Nash is going to be like, guys, I've been watching BT. <laughs> and that's where we're going. That's where we'll be hip and cool. We're going to HBO. Yeah, we're going to air after The Sopranos. That'd be a great spot, to be honest. <laughs> Who would be the TNA Tony Soprano? Dusty, right? Yeah, it would be Dusty, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would love Dusty doing, like, therapy skits. And talking through all his trauma from wrestling? Yeah. There is probably, like, a version of the Jarrett character that, that's good as, like, Ooh. a... Well, Ga- Jarrett's great when he just gets to kind of goof off so if he's not the champion and he's doing those segments i think like that's probably gonna that'd be probably pretty great yeah when he has the falling out with jerry he just goes to therapy on the show yeah do you think with this like upcoming change mm. in six months they're like we need to change what the product that we're presenting is do you think like they're like all hands on deck let's let's bring in guys let's revitalize this division let's you know you know like do you think there's a a colder arms sense it's funny you ask that because this is like the fourth time that's the case isn't it yeah it's what they do best honestly at the moment where like there there was a little rallying cry when they got on tv at first that kind of fell off then there was the the second rallying cry when they got on pay-per-view at first the the, the three-hour monthly pay-per-views and that lasted a little while longer, and I think produced some better shows than the first one did. But I think, it, once again, it's fallen off. And now yes. it's, it's like, again, it's like we've fallen into our kind of general TNA malaise with some high points. I think more high points than there were in March. And I think the fact that March was a, a, a bad month of TV leading to a terrible pay-per-view that didn't do great numbers is ultimately the thing that has people like being like, uh, maybe someone else. And I do think... Like the the financial peril the company is in at the moment, like where it's still in the state where everyone thinks the company might go out of business at any given moment, <laughs> has a lot of yeah. people being like, we have to try something different. We have to try something different. We can't like we we can't afford patience, which is ironic considering they never did shut down. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where if you just told them, it's like actually, guys, it's going to work out. Yeah, take your time. Like against all odds, pardon the pay per view pun. <laughs> you are going to end up. With a pretty good TV deal with Spike TV that's actually going to go real well. And you're going to be there for a long time until you fuck it up. Yeah. In many different ways over the course of eight years. <laughs> but like, I've, I guess we'll get to that whenever we get to it. That that irritates me to this day. Mm. Like, just don't do it and you're fine. <laughs> yep. Like, there's a chance you're still on the network <laughs> in 2023. There is that alternate reality where they didn't get on the bad side of Spike. They're still on Spike. And, like, Paramount Network isn't what it used to be. But it also has the most popular show on cable right now. And on streaming with Paramount Plus. Yeah, like, like Yellowstone is huge. Yeah. It's, like, the biggest show on cable. And TNA could have coasted off that in the year of our Lord 2023. James Storm getting a big push. I know there was always talk that, like, the Dixie thing wasn't actually the death knell. It sure didn't help. But I, th- I think there was, a, like, an offer on the table. But it was obviously for less than they were getting before. So Dixie was like, no, we're going to shop it around. And then by the time they came back to Spike and all the, the, the Russo stuff had gone down, they were like, nah. One of the worst calls they ever made. 
Because at least, like, even if it's less money from Spike, Spike still gives you the platform and enough money to both rebuild and not go out of business and not go into, like, the spiral that the company went in from, like, 2015 through the Anthem purchase. Also, it's Spike. It's a decent fucking network. Yeah, it's a, it's a real cable network that has, like, a, a decent audience where at least, you know, eight, nine hundred thousand people minimum will watch your show every week, at least back in 2014. Yeah. You, it's still even, like, even in 2014, like, the Dixie episode where she got powerbombed through a table still did, I think, about 1.4 million viewers. Yeah, it, it still had moments where, like, it, it did, like, blow back up to those levels. And it still, like, would have been in the wrestling zeitgeist. Yeah. And plus, like, you know, when that happens, they stick around for a couple more years. That's when New Japan starts to blow up. Mm. New Japan, at that point, hasn't, like, really, like, attached itself to ROH. Could have attached itself to TNA. They could have mended fences a bit earlier. Yeah. Especially given if TNA still had a, the Spike TV audience, that's that's a very strong selling point. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you get, like, the Bullet Club guys that started going over to America, ROH. You get Okada and Nakamura during, like, when they're trying to get over. All of that's happening on Spike TV, TNA instead. Yeah, what if the Bullet Club made national TV in 2015 instead of with AEW basically in 2019? Yeah. The alternate histories. I tell you, that is that is my number one superpower that I would want. Seeing all of the uh, the branching paths that could have happened. Yeah. Seeing all of the different Finn Balor universes. Oh, again, the most influential wrestler of the last 20 years. After the week Destination X pay-per-view show... The Bloom is really off of Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll bring it back with this pay-per-view. <laughs> well, it's a better show. Eh, it's a better show, you're right. Like, it is, like, I'm not, I say substantially better based on the fact that the last one was terrible. And I think this one was decent and the last one was awful, which is substantially better. But th- this one was all right. They kind of needed to knock it out of the, out of the park this month. And they didn't. There was tremendous second-guessing of his booking, and even people who grew up with him as their childhood idol are saying they can't handle his ego. The big thing people are pointing to, and this includes those who were strongly backing him a few weeks ago, and those who paved the way for him to get power, is that he should have never booked Monty Brown versus Triton, and the finish where Monty pinned a random masked man. The feeling is it exposed Rhodes had no idea what he was doing when he booked it, and the feeling is that when you book a pay-per-view match, you shouldn't do so unless you already have the finish okay. and know where it is leading. So I'm currently reading a textbook on writing for film and writing for television. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that's in that book, in like chapter two, is the idea that when you've come up for a concept of what you want to do, when you're going to write a movie or a film. The thing that you need to have before you do anything else is the ending. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the ending planned, you're going to go into, when you're going to start this story, you're just going to do things that aren't going to matter. And then you're going to do things that'll bring it off the, off the rails that won't make sense by the time you do get to write the ending. And it's going to feel like a long bloated mess that isn't going to actually come around in any way. And that's what we're seeing here in wrestling, too, is that you need to have the ending planned before you get on the road. Especially with, like, a match like this, where, like, Monty and Triton, where you sit down and you say, your very first question is, who's going to lose? Yeah. It's a professional wrestling match. Somebody has to lose. Or you do some bullshit. 
Yeah. But like, you're like, Monty coming off the back of the Jarrett loss can't really lose. And he's like our one of our top baby faces. He should not lose. Triton is a new pushed act. Triton? Triton is a new pushed act for reasons beyond comprehension because he's terrible. But he is a new pushed act and probably shouldn't lose. So when you sit down and you're like putting together your pay-per-view and you you put together Monty Brown versus Triton, it does expose how like just thoughtless all of this is. You just clearly didn't give it any thought. Which is a real indictment of someone's booking. I do think like that's the case when you look like up and down this show in that it almost doesn't even feel like first draft ideas. It feels like he threw together, because they're taping three impacts at a time in this cycle, because there's six impacts building to lockdown, so they tape three and three in two blocks of tapings. So it really feels like he just throws a bunch of stuff on the back of a napkin, doesn't bother thinking about like how this works, how it builds, how it pays off, how it's meant to make you care more about these characters, these stories, or these angles. And then he's the same guy who like turns around and is like, the X Division is all moves, they don't have any stories. It's like, neither do you, pal, and you've got the book! Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is all on you. And, I don't know, I think, I don't think, like, Impact at this point is, like, there's a roster there that you can work with, Mm. and it takes a real disconnect to not, to 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 be playing it the way that it is being played. Like, the one thing I'll give them is there's probably a lack of roster depth. But, like, I feel like that you can still make the best out of what you have, I think. Which I don't think he's doing, which is the reason I can't even give that to him. I don't think he's trying. Because, like, there's weeks that go by where, like, AMW are barely featured, or Raven is barely featured, or even AJ is barely featured. It's like, you have pieces you can put in good places, and instead you're just booking everybody to beat Buck Quartermain every week. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've seen Buck Quartermain on this show more than I've seen Jeff Jarrett, and that's saying something. All over the show, old Buck and David Young and Lex love it. Though it is funny, you raised the point about like having your ending planned in advance, which I, I largely agree with that you should. But it's funny, we, we, see, we saw an instance just that this weekend where it's like they had their ending planned in advance and stuck to it when they probably shouldn't have. That's the thing. You don't have to, you don't have to stay with it. Mm. You can adapt as the story progresses because it is a story unlike a movie or TV show that is going to be told concurrently with the people watching it. So you have the ability to adapt and change. But when you first form it, you should have an idea in mind. Yeah, it's fine that you're building toward Cody Rhodes, but you should pivot when you get a really hot baby face. Yeah, and you can find a way to make it... That's the thing, too. You can find a way to make it work. Yeah, it's pro wrestling. You can basically do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, you control every element of it besides injury. Hmm. So yeah, there, there's a lot of second questioning. Other complaints have come from Sean Waltman, Conan, and BG James most notably. Waltman was under the impression he wasn't going to wrestle at the March 15 tapings. And he was complaining before the show because he should only be working pay-per-view matches. Even though he was also complaining last month when he skipped that court date. Yeah, he wanted to work last <laughs> month. But he's not happy about working Buck Quatermain, I don't think. I think that's I'm the issue. I'm beginning to think that Sean Waltman may be a little irrational to- too. I don't think it helped that he got a concussion in that Buck Quatermain match. Oh, was he complaining after that? I think so. Okay, like that, that I understand then. If he was complaining before, I'm like, fuck off. Whereas he got hurt working like a... It was a TV main event, but it was also a, a ten minute, weirdly 10-minute TV main event against Buck Quatermain and Lex Lovett. Because Buck Quatermain and Lex Lovett are the best, and they're all over these shows. But how do you feel about them not having Johnny Fairplay involved anymore? They upgraded 
to having David Young as their leader. So I appreciate that. As like their bold, fabulous freebirds. I love that um, uh, Young and Lex Lovett look like the exact same person. This legitimately, when I'm taking notes of like who got pinned on finishes, I have to look at the screen so closely. <laughs> Mike Tanay mixed them up. <laughs> they are the same person. And even like, listen, Quatermain's a little bit bigger, but still, all three of them are like the exact same bald man. Yeah. Conan was mad because he's constantly complained about how Trio K are supposed to be a badass thug group, but all they do is get punked out and never get any retribution. That's probably fair. This came to a head before the pay-per-view when the script came for the show came out. Conan was asked to drop the fall in the eight-man tag and then take a guitar shot from BG James in the main event. He asked Rhodes what the eight-man tag was building toward, and Rhodes told him Team Canada versus AMW for the tag titles. Conan said if that's the case, how come Bobby Roode isn't pinning one of AMW? Rhodes pretty much told him if he didn't want to job, he could leave, and Conan just said he had no problem jobbing, but the booking didn't make sense based on where they were going. James was mad when he found out his ex-outlaw tag partner was earning two grand per show starting out, while BG had been with the company from day one, was the same level star, and is only making one grand per show. Uh, excuse me, BG, you didn't have that billion chuck run. That's true. Or the one Billy Gunn. Exactly. Well, where's your King of the Ring win? Yeah. Also, like... The Outlaws strayed off a WWE run and BG's been gone for like four years now, so... Yeah. BG's just a run-of-the-mill TNA schmuck, whereas Billy Gunn still has some star power left, arguably. Well, he hasn't dampened it yet. Mm. He asked for a raise and was turned down, saying the company couldn't afford it. With all the cutbacks, can't see too many people getting raises right now, says Dave. Um, Dave goes to like one of his favorite analogies mm. in the next like set of comments where he describes it as being funeral-like. Does Dave do that a lot? He does that a lot. Like, you, you hear that that term or referring to things as being, like, a funeral or, like, that sort of melancholy whenever something's bad in a pro wrestling company. Mm. So at the April 5th tapings, Dave does say it was, like, funeral-like with the negativity because they changed the pay-per-view to an all-steel cage match pay-per-view lockdown. It was originally just meant to be two <laughs> cage matches. Now the entire show is cage matches. And everyone was like, that's fucking stupid, and I don't want to do it. And even Dusty, like, later in the month, was on, like, a media interview being like, it wasn't my idea, I also hate it. Yeah, thanks, Dusty. Me and Dusty. On the same page, finally. Lockdown haters. Love my lockdown. (laughs) But also, a bunch of people were apparently shorted pay as well, so that didn't help either. And they all thought thought the company was going under, and they're all sick of Dusty. And they all think Dusty is a giant ego, and the show's booked terribly. Well... So so it's, it's it's not going well. It's not going well. Also, pay-per-view buys for Destination X were down as well. So all is not looking well for the American Dream Dusty Rhodes run with the book. Yeah, it started okay. Mm. So this month, I think, was better than last month in that I didn't feel existential dread while watching the shows. Mm. But I still don't think it's good. No. it's It's just a very dull show and i have to admit i'm very sick of just squashing nerds they've ruined the joy of squash matches for you yeah because they do 17 on a show (laughs) it's like a ridiculous amount of squash matches whenever they actually put guys out against each other i think they do pretty well and those matches always like you know exceed expectations at this point but one thing i will say is i think the build to the pay-per-view this month was better Mm -hmm. in that there was some (laughs) <laughs> I liked the, the general gist of the show heading towards this pay-per-view more than last month's. 
but it wasn't like a giant step forward. I think most of the time when the show is good, it's almost good in spite of itself, which I really think was like the case, especially with the pay-per-views, the first few of them, where it was pointed out even at the time by Dave that like these shows aren't necessarily great due to anything Dusty has booked, I guess other than like he did put some of the matches together. But it's not like he put together hot angles. It's not together like he had this particular eye for matchmaking. He just kind of lucked into some good matches while people were trying really hard, but then didn't really learn from what was good about his shows. So it's like AMW have two of like the back-to-back best pay-per-view matches you'll ever see in your life. And then they're just kind of irrelevant for a month. Or like the X Division will completely carry his pay-per-views. And then he'll scale them back and get rid of a bunch of the good X Division guys and you'll see the same Chris Saban-Michael Shane match until you die. So anytime it's good, it's like it stumbles into being good. It's good by accident. And then Dusty like actively tries to do all of the opposite things of them that were good on his shows. It's kind of bizarre that he learns so little he watches his own shows and just comprehends nothing about what makes them good or interesting and instead just books Triton against Monty Brown. Do you think he just doesn't, like, particularly care? Do you, like, it's more of an exercise in his power than actually trying to build any forward momentum with the television show? Yeah, I know, I know people are, like, on about his ego. And I think part of that is it, that he knows best. And the way Dusty thinks and the way Dusty puts together shows is the way TNA should be. Instead of, as I said, like watching his shows and being like, oh, that time I gave the four X Division guys 20 minutes in an Impact main event, it was one of the most interesting things we did this month. Mm. Maybe I should learn a thing or two from that. Hmm. It's interesting that he's like, seems to be so steadfast in what he believes. Yeah. And as I said, like, compare it to NXT where everybody loves him. Yeah. And I don't think he was ever booking NXT. I'm not sure about that. I know he he had a hand in it, but I don't think he was the lead writer. I think he he he, more, he mostly helped people finding their characters and they create and doing like creative on that side. So like, I really do wonder if it was this TNA run where he's like, "Listen, all the young people hated me. My booking regime lasted six months, seven, and then I, no, it was six, and then I was ousted. So clearly, there's something I did wrong there." that I have to do right here in NXT. And by all accounts, he did, because everyone there absolutely loved him, whereas I don't think everyone in TNA loved Dusty Rhodes. I don't think very many... Even if, like, if Nash... Like, if one of the old heads is like, fuck that guy, every, everyone's gone, you know? Mm. The only defenders he's really going to have are, like, the the dyed-in-the-wool wrestling people, as opposed to, like, the young people. Or maybe you get some of the young people who idolize him when they grew up. Well, they said, apparently, that he's lost them. Yeah, he seems to have lost absolutely everybody. And, like, you can see why. Because most of the good things on the show have very little to do with things he seemed to book. Yeah. It seems to be actively against them, in fact. And I will, uh, again, I'll give him some credit. We mentioned this in the watch long, but he, he made bold and correct choices on pay-per-view main events at least twice so far in his run. Yeah, he can, he, to be fair, I think he can structure a show. Mm-hmm. The problem is just what's on the show. Yeah, so he knew Styles and Abyss was the match that should close lockdown, and he knew that AMW Triple X was the match that should close turning point. Like, he he made those calls. They're non-traditional calls. They're probably, like, if you were to look at the match with the most star power or the match that technically has the, the most world title stakes or whatever, 
they're they're not the calls that the average wrestling company would make and that they were better calls for it because both the matches he chose ended up being far and away the best matches on their respective shows so he may like it's it hasn't been a total disaster it's not like, like he he has elevated christopher daniels whereas the previous regime didn't and he has done right by aj for the most part but mm-hmm. then everything else kind of sucks yeah makes sense we'll only be talking about him for another month on the topic of somebody we won't be talking about anymore for a while, TNA Wrestling announced that Kid Cash has been released. Cash was outspoken during an interview with Wrestling Live News. Very unlike him to be outspoken at in an interview with the media. No, he's normally so reserved. Stating that he was upset TNA was prohibiting him from wrestling on ECW's One Night Stand pay-per-view. WWE had officially sent word that former ECW wrestlers under TNA contract were welcome to work the ECW branded pay-per-view, including Cash, Raven, Jerry Lynn, uh, Shane Douglas would be another, there's a few other on, on the roster at the moment. Cash was known as an outspoken locker room presence dating back to his days in ECW. Despite his hot-headed nature, which may be all that prevents him from getting a serious look by WWE, he is one of the most polished all-around acts in TNA, which you can never deny of him. He's great. Yeah, whenever he's in the ring, he's killing it. I do think the problem is, like, he's not a top guy. Hmm. It's not the case that I think Kid Cash is badly positioned in this company. I think he is a world-class mid-card heel. Like, one of the best mid-card heels you'll ever get. But I do think he's a mid-card heel. You don't see, like, even a spot to try him out? I don't think so. I don't think I'd buy him in that kind of role. I don't think he's even suited for that kind of role. Like, I think he works best when he's, like, a guy with a grudge. And everyone's holding him down, which is like art imitating life, because that's how he feels all the time anyway. (laughs) But Mm. as a mid-card guy who has like a chip on his shoulder and believes he should get the world when he doesn't deserve the world. Like his his real life personality is his best pro wrestling character. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I mean, I don't disagree. Do you think they could have tried Cash at a higher level in TNA up to this point? I do think so, I think. Mm -hmm. Only because, like what are the alternatives you know you might as well give it a shot he delivers in ring he he has a like a a big personality when he's out there you could do him as like you could try him especially when aj was world champ yeah you, you gave a month to glenn gilberti you could probably try kid cash for a while <laughs> yeah like just with who else is like at that level at this point yeah like but hmm because I even think about the AJ feud, which is the closest he's come to like being a headline act in this company, where like he was in the Jared first for a while because Lord knows everybody is, and then you know he was in the AJ sphere, where he had some good matches with AJ, but not like blowaway matches with AJ, but they were like main event level matches. They main evented a few of the weekly pay per views, and I I don't think he blew like blew the doors off that spot. But who knows if with time he could have. That's true. Not like in a ring time sense just with a being in that position for a long enough time yeah this is not the end of kid cash we'll talk about him again in 2011 yeah i we he will not get a remember win until 2020 that's that's his yeah. last date he, he wrestled chase stevens on the tna special in 2020 oh no it was hernandez he wrestled i don't count one-offs but a second run is a second run yeah, so he gets a, a full year there in 2011-2012 that we can talk about. But, well, more or less a full year. So we won't be talking about Kid Cash for a while, but this is the end of his run. He finally did one media interview too many, and they're like, fine, just go. Like, I understand 
like why they didn't let him go because one he's a talented performer and two you don't want to set the precedent that that people can badmouth you in the media to get out of a contract <laughs> they have to punch Sammy Guevara <laughs> but also there does reach a point where you're like oh, all right this isn't working for either of us just fuck off yeah which I guess this was the point you go when you want to see how it works out for him in stark contrast to Kid Cash, a week earlier, AJ Styles expressed a 100% commitment to TNA during an interview with Wrestle Talk Radio, the same people. When asked about the possibility of a WWE run, AJ said that he doesn't want to go there because there are too many people there already and he wants to focus on making TNA better. He said he was shocked by the recent releases. They released people like uh, Matt Hardy and Rhino this month. There was a, a lot of links of Matt Hardy to TNA, naturally, because Jeff is there. And that in 90 days, TNA has a chance to do something great. He said that Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero are the best. And it's so backwards that they're not champions. He added letting Matt Hardy go was stupid. He hopes TNA will capitalize on it. He said he would like to see Matt and Jeff together because Matt brings out the best in his brother. He also put over Gail Kim and Molly Holly as two girls who can wrestle better than a lot of the guys. He said he considers Christopher Daniels one of the best in the business and wouldn't be nowhere he'd be without him. He also credited Jerry Lynn for taking him to the next level as a worker. TNA's about to get some big pickups. Yeah, we're we're coming in, like, because I was just saying that one of the excuses I'll give Dusty is that there's not a ton of roster depth, which is the reason you see Chris Saban and Michael Shane. But some of that is self-inflicted because, like, you wouldn't have to see that same match over and over if you had Alex Shelley and Sanjay Dutt, which he didn't want to book, you know? So, yeah, it's part of that is self-inflicted, but they, they do lack a bit of depth in a lot of their divisions so that they... They can't really run matches on TV without doing like tags or six mans, which they should just do tags or six mans if you want to fill in that gap. Do tags and six mans, but just make them important. Yeah, because the main event of the go home show is Styles and Hardy against the Biss and Raven, and that's a good, cool match. I think I I I loved it. Which we'll talk about when we get into the show. But yeah, you you can be creative with a small roster. We're talking about that on Rain Takers at the moment as well. Uh, yeah, well, like that New Japan roster is not big. Yeah, and they still find a way to make these shows be big and impactful. And, you know, it helped having Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazushika Okada and Shizunada. Like, it's a real high-level roster. But, you know, it is essentially, like, 14 people with, like, five outsiders that they bring in. Yeah, they make smart use of outsiders, which TNA used to do. Like, they used to do the X-Cups, and the people in the X-Cups would hang around for a while and do matches. And they don't do that anymore. Then you'd find a guy like Hector Gaza that you want to push. Yeah. He then reflected fondly on his time at Ring of Honor working with Loki, Brian Dennison, Paul London, and Jamie Rave. He did criticize the all-cage match format for lockdown, stating, It's obvious to everyone it's a bad idea. Yeah, Garrett, even your hero, AJ Styles, agrees. But the goal was to still have an incredible show. He said his real name is Alan Jones, but he was called AJ throughout high school. That's where AJ came from. He took the name Styles because he teamed with a wrestler with that last name on an indie show early in his career. And then he invented the Styles class by doing it on his brother while playing in a trampoline. His brother-in-law. Oh, very important. Just, uh, which is a way funnier image. <laughs> just messing around with your brother-in-law doing Styles classes? Yeah. Like, ah, come here. <laughs> <laughs> AJ, no, I don't want to do this. Nah, come here. <laughs> it's a Styles clash too, which is like uh, famous for nearly breaking wrestlers' necks if taken badly. Perhaps someone who doesn't know anything. It'll be fine. Uh... He probably got a giant jump with it, to be fair, on a trampoline. That's true. Your neck would be fine if you did the bad version. It would survive. I, I've been folded up on a on a on on my neck on a trampoline. Yeah, and you're doing okay. Yeah, sure. 
Dixie Carter addressed the staff and crew of wrestlers before lockdown. She said that rumors of TNA going out of business soon are incorrect. I think this is the third time she's recently given this speech. <laughs> she should be like, I, I really don't want to keep doing this. She said that they have committed to this project and they're sticking with it. Without being overly specific, she said they had some big announcements coming up soon. She did announce that they would be airing on Eurosport in more than a dozen European countries. Garrett's hooting and hollering. I love European countries. Name them all. We did that as a freaking Patreon bit. We can't do it here too. <laughs> we want what she said to be true, says one TNA wrestler. Everyone here wants this place to work. Well... Yep. <laughs> Nash probably doesn't. He's bored. He's like, I'm 45. Why am I getting a fucking staff infection in a match against the outlaw? Outlaw. The consensus from multiple sources in TNA is that the belief is the talent is more than adequate, but the booking isn't. Nor are the business operations in general. It's crazy that they keep nickel and diming the people who are bleeding for them, says one TNA wrestler. Well, it's a Jerry Jarrett company. Yep, that's his specialty. And like... Again, we talked about this when he kind of took more power when Dusty King got the book. That, like, they need as long a runway as they can get. As long yeah. as as long as Panda are willing to give them. And if it takes running three tapings back to back to back on a day, if it takes nickel and diming, that's what it takes to get this company and keep it surviving long enough until you do eventually land the spike deal and everything's okay. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how some of these backstage elements change when the spike deal comes in. Well, like we'll talk about Jerry, of course, and Jerry goes out for a different reason. But also, I think Dusty not working out and Jerry being Dusty's guy or Dusty being Jerry's guy probably puts Jerry on a, a lower political footing and probably helps Jeff a little bit. Though it's interesting, yeah. like we'll get to it when when they change Booker. Hey, Garrett. Yes. Who who who's the new Booker? Well, at the moment, it's just Dusty. I mean, but like once Dusty goes, who takes over? We'll find out in June. <laughs> no. But I do, I do find it interesting that it's not just Jarrett and Dutch again. Because that that would have felt like the easy thing. It's just to go back to the last booking team. But it's like, no. I think they they realized that didn't work either. Yeah, so they do have to try a third option, which we'll talk about when we get to Slammiversary. What's the third option? It's going to be Shark Boy. Oh, that'd be great. TNA announced to wrestlers and staff before the lockdown show that Frank Dickerson, a longtime member of the Panda Energy Board, had been hired to run the company as chief executive <laughs> officer and chief financial officer. So uh, a panda... Are you laughing at the name Dickerson? <laughs> are you chuckling to yourself at the name Dickerson? Is that where we are? He's gone. The name Dickerson has taken him down. Dickerson. Frank Dickerson. It's just the... It's not even the... Like, it's just the ER in the middle of it. Dickerson. Ugh. Can you imagine someone going up to uh, to Mr. Dickerson? It's like, Mr. Dickerson, can I have a pay rise? <laughs> Shark Boy is like, oh, shell, yeah, I'd love a pay rise. Do BG James talking to Frank Dickerson. <laughs> Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. Up in here, up in here. Dickerson, believed to be in his mid-50s, has been a member of the board of directors of Panda Energy, the company owned by TNA's financial backers, Bob Carter. Dickerson was a wrestling fan as a child growing up, but he is believed to have not really paid attention to the product for some 40 years. Most of them haven't. It was already said he had already started his education into the strange industry by purchasing the book Sex, Lies and Headlocks and Death of WCW. Mm. There's also a funny story, I don't think I included it, of AJ and I think it was that same media interview 
where he was like asked about what he thought about Vince Russo. It's like, I like him as a guy, but my opinion of him as a booker changed when I read The Death of WCW. I never read it. Because it's funny, AJ's like not a wrestling fan either. So it's funny that he sat down to like, let me read this book about, oh. About my boss. Yeah. The hiring of Dickerson combined with Carter's insistence at the pre-show meeting that the company isn't going anywhere turned around a lot of people who thought the company was on its death march. They've also booked pay-per-view dates in July, uh, which is past the lease of Universal Studios, which is another thing they, the people were thinking about, that Universal was only leased through June, and now it's leased through at least July, perhaps through the end of the year. So it's, it's another thing where everyone's like, oh, okay, okay, we, 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 we've got a little while. We're okay. For now. For now, she also noted the deal with Eurosport and that the company's for pay-per-view lockdown will air in New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Your mortal enemy country. Yeah. TNA producer Keith Mitchell and graphics coordinator David Zahadi talked about the production of the lockdown pay-per-view on TNAWrestling.com before the event. Said Mitchell on camera shots surrounding an all-cage concept. In the past two weeks, we've had conference calls with TNA management to discuss ideas on how to capture all the action with a cage surrounding the ring. I'm confident we have some great solutions in place, and I think the fans will enjoy it at home from a visual standpoint. We're going to make a lot of use of our overhead camera, and, in like one of the most innovative things in wrestling history that I'm still mad every company doesn't do, they're going to cut holes in the cage for the cameras to shoot through. Doesn't the read do that? They don't! Interesting. It's one of those things, like, this is the first show anybody ever did it. Lockdown 2005 is when they started cutting holes in the cage. They also put a cameraman in the cage at one stage. That wasn't a good idea. I think that was just as a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was just to break that, like, that internal connection in the viewer's brain. Yeah. Because, like, they didn't do it for any of the other matches. I wonder, because that opening match was where Chris Candido broke his leg. If they blame it on having another person in the ring? Yeah, if they're like, we're cutting off too much of the space. Because if you see, it's not like, I don't think Candido's even concerned about the camera run or anything. Because he takes the leg lariat, we'll talk about it in the match, but he takes the leg lariat and his leg falls underneath him and he breaks his leg. But I wonder if they're like, listen, we need to keep these guys the full ring, we can't do this. Yeah, maybe. So Hadi said, the opening package for Lockdown is a little different than the openings we've previously done. Usually we focus on the top matches or top athletes that night in the pay-per-view. But since the night is about the six sides of steel, the whole opening is about the cage itself. It's about the horrors involved and the dangers of being inside a cage. We use the voice to speak for the cage as if the cage was talking to us. I tried to make the cage into a monster in the opening. And it was kind of awesome, so... Yeah, because you had the usual Barry Scott narration, and then a female voice being like, I'm a spooky cage. I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> spooky cage. Step into this cage and I will kill you because I'm a cage. We we need to talk about gender stereotypes that they made the cage voice a woman. Maybe that's breaking gender stereotypes. But the cage is spooky and evil and trying to entice people and then punish them. It's a succubus cage. <laughs> it is a succubus cage. That brings us to broad topics. We'll start with lethal lockdown. Not a traditional lethal lockdown. What is a traditional? Oh, with the no roof? Yeah. That is like one of the cooler things TNA added to that. The retractable roof. Yeah, and I like the weapons hanging from it. The Ambrose Asylum. (laughs) Yes, that is what the inspiration was. The future match. You know, it's funny. They did do the Wednesday Bloody Wednesday, which did have the weapons attached, but they didn't attach them for this. They just walked out with them. Well, no one did a Wednesday Bloody Wednesday match. No, Jarrett was in both. No, but no one did one on this show. That's true. There was Lethal Lockdown. Mm-hmm. 
The March 18th episode of Impact. Jeff Jarrett was in the ring. He was introduced by Mike Tanay. The crowd chanted, drop the title at him. Disrespectful. So he dropped the title on the mat. That rules. <laughs> Picked it back up. And I have never in my life seen a smugger human being. <laughs> he was so happy with himself. There was a look of pure joy on that man's face at what he just... Because this is like the third or fourth time they've chanted drop the title at him. So you know he's like, next time they do it, I'm going to do this bit. And it's going to be so good. And then they did, and he did his bit and he was so happy with himself. I noticed there was like one guy in the crowd who went, all right, that was good. <laughs> yes, there's some people who just actually popped for it. It's like, all right. Today doesn't sell it at all. T- he doesn't. He charges on. Like, he completely no-sells it. What a pro. <laughs> like, you think it would be a classic Mike Tanay face moment, and instead he's just like, I'm just going to continue introducing you. <laughs> I mean, you got a real good Mike Tanay face, though. Oh, there's always good Mike Tanay. Like, it's weird that they only have Mike Tanay in the ring to introduce Jarrett for these. I'd imagine Jarrett likes the idea of playing off Tanay. I think he enjoys that. Because they don't have Tanay do it for literally anybody else. A good on-screen chemistry. Yeah, he's a good foil. He's the only good foil for Jeff Jarrett in this company. Yeah. So he explains that Monty was screwed out of multiple title shots by whom, I wonder, but also he had two. (laughs) Only he and Monty know exactly why Monty did the turn, the crowd chant asshole, but that's dubbed over with Jarrett sucks chants. I went back and I checked the original version of the show just to make sure they, they did there, there too. I guess because this show does air at four in the afternoon. <laughs> Kids are straight home from school and just hearing asshole, asshole. <laughs> Jarrett introduces a man who is his friend, a man he respects, the alpha male Monty Brown. Super Bowl athlete. <laughs> Yeah, one of the best athletes in wrestling, Super Bowl Cal. Even my today later in the month is like, you fucking use that double A ball player line to death, and here you are. Yeah, I love that he's like, don't need to bring up old things, Mike. Mm. Monty shakes hands with Jarrett, and they say they shook the world, which is what drew the sensational Mike today face. Monty says he doesn't care if he makes babies cry. He doesn't care if he's not politically correct. He will pounce the world. But. Is the world planet Jarrett? <laughs> Foreshadowing. So I hate this. Yeah. Because I think it's fine from Jarrett's perspective. Well, yeah, it's great for him. Where, like, the dude who is his biggest threat is now his ally, and now he's full of shit about all the bad things he used to say about Monty. In, like, its own world, it's a nice little story. Mm-hmm. The problem is the implications for the company as a whole. But, like... My problem is from the perspective of Monty as a character. Mm. What's he doing here? He's promised a favour. Yeah. Which you have to assume is just going to be like a title shot. (laughs) Oh, that did open the show, by the way. They aired footage from Destination X of the post-match celebration where they're very happy and Jarrett's very pleased. But then Monty does remind Jarrett that he owes him one. So, like, the only way this makes sense, the only way Monty doesn't look like the real big dumbest idiot in the world is if he's actually playing Jarrett. Which I'm just going to assume is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what turns out to happen and Monty Brown doesn't look like an idiot at all. <laughs> because otherwise, Jarrett is blatantly lying to his face. He's pretending all the bad things he said and did to Monty did not happen. And Monty's just like, yeah, cool, we're pals. Hmm. So Monty just looks like an idiot. A little bit, yeah. I guess, like, again, if you had a different, like, ending, it could have worked out. Yeah, if you were building here to, it's like, it turns out that 
this was just Monty's way of getting another shot at Jarrett. I think it would be a bad way to do it because he would have ruined his like buy-in with the audience with the heel turn and turning on DDP. So I still don't think it's a great idea because why would you not just want the, the crowd to cheer for Monty Brown? They want to. They clearly want to. So even doing like a fake heel turn to turn face again is a thing I wouldn't really do myself either. But at least, like, mm. that would be an end game where Monty, it makes sense. Like, he lost two title matches. This is his way back to another title match. And, like, when he turns on Jarrett to turn face again, he'd probably get a decent reaction. And then he can beat Jarrett and win the belt. But that's not what they do. They just make him look stupid. I do like how Jarrett plays it. Mm. Yeah, because as, as I said, from Jarrett's perspective, it's great. Where he's just like, I've always said you're a great football player. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like that stuff that stuff's really good because he's full of shit and everyone knows he's full of shit and thumbs up but Monty should know he's full of shit that's my problem yeah the Serengeti's on planet Jarrett <laughs> <laughs> uh, DDP and Sean Waltman face Buck Quatermain and Lex Lovett in the main event with Kevin Nash on commentary I mean I have nothing to say about any of these matches this match went like nine minutes <laughs> Yeah, Buck and Lex are over, brother. This was their match coming off the back of the the promises that uh, Johnny Fairplay made uh, made them. So clearly, even though he's never seen again, he did get his boys a TV main event. Perhaps he's their agent and is working behind the scenes. Ah, so he's just pulling the strings. He doesn't need to be seen. He, he's a man who just wants to represent his clients and not be seen in public. That's a good agent. You know, I've always said that Johnny Fairplay is a guy who isn't after the spotlight. Yeah, he's he's very modest, he's very noble, he's very humble. He doesn't want... It's not about him, it's about Buck and Lex. I mean, this is the first time DDP and Waltman have teamed. Though they did wrestle on a 97 Nitro. I'm happy for them. <laughs> my my favourite part of this match, Bronco Buster on both guys, DDP hits the diamond cutter on Quatermain, and right after three, Buck Quatermain kicks out. <laughs> Gotta protect him. Buck Quatermain is trying to big league DDP in the diamond cutter. Well, I'm sorry, but Buck had a really strong month last month, okay? He's trying to keep that momentum rolling. He's like, I've got my nine-minute TV main event against the stars. I'm not going down. I'm making myself look credible. I hope DDP reamed him out backstage. I really hope he probably deserved it. If I were DDP, I would have been like, who the fuck do you think you are? Yeah. But he keeps getting spots all month, so... Clearly works out for him. So Nash gets on the mic and you actually hear like a subdued bring back Hall chant. He calls out Dusty. He says on commentary during the match, it's like, oh, I have something I want to ask Dusty after this match. So he says one of the cage matches at lockdown, because at this point there is still only two. He would like it to be Waltman, DDP and Nash versus the outlaw Jared and Monty in a six man tag team cage match. And Dusty says, let me think about it, daddy. And then Nash is like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like this requires deep thought. He's out here next week, and Nash is like, next week? Mm. This is the match where Waltman got a concussion, by the way, and he was mad. Yeah, well, you know. If you can't keep up with Lex Lovett. <laughs> love it or leave it, baby. Oh, that's good wordplay. Well done. Thank you. So DDP comes to the ring on the March 25th episode of Impact and asks Dusty Rhodes for his answer. And then Dusty starts doing his promo, and DDP briefly interrupts Dusty, and Dusty's like, don't step on me with your mic, brother. They got real for a second there. There's a shot of DDP right after that, where he's like, again, I think he probably like chewed Dusty out. It's like, don't you emasculate me? I'm your top baby face. Yeah. Dusty is fucking people up. He's kind of off the rails, isn't he? He's mad with power. 
Because we talked a lot in like 2003 in particular about how Dusty was actually great on these shows. Yeah. And now he's he's not. You know, they always said like when he was doing Florida that um, the thing about Dusty was that he could be a great wrestler or a great booker, but he could never be both at the same time. Mm. And it's like he can be a great character. He can be a, a pretty decent booker, but both at the same time seems to be his Achilles heel. He can, just can't separate being on the show from putting the show together. And yeah, the, the, he's only a character here, as you said, too. Like, he's a director of authority, but he he shouldn't be shooting down DDP like that. Especially because DDP is like, give me what I want. And he's like, all right, I'm going to make the match. It's going to be a six-man tag. Mm. Cool. <laughs> it's not, it wasn't. He's not even doing good promos. Again, it would be better, again another thing if Dusty was like midway through this fantastic promo. It's like, oh, he's really selling the six-man tag. I'm so excited for it. But he's like, daddy, if you will, we're going to have... The match at lockdown. And then DDP says something. He's like, brother, don't you say a word. <laughs> Absolutely furious. Uh, DDP says Monty has made a bad decision. Jarrett and his goons attack Nash as backstage. So Candido and the Naturals, Jarrett are attacking Nash. And then DDP goes to help. And they, they sold this like Nash was murdered. Yeah, he got like punched a few times by the Naturals. <laughs> the Naturals! Which is about a, <laughs> the natural, <laughs> which is about which also is what they do with um Chris Candido. To be fair, mm. well, some terrible foreshadowing in that Chris Candido thing, huh? There, yeah, it really is. Where it's like he's rolling around in a wheelchair for the month. Yeah, and that becomes kind of his shtick moving forward. Mm. April first, Impact. Mike Tanay sits down with Monty Brown, and like once again. The point of this is like to explain the heel turn. They're doing the, like the sit backstage with the the entrance tunnel as a backdrop. It's the same interview style they did with DDP last month, and like they're, they're meant to explain why Monty did what he did, and they're just kind of like dancing around it because it's very clear they don't actually have a reason for why Monty did what he did. <laughs> we did it because we thought it would be a good swerve on the show. <laughs> yeah, like that's a hundred percent the reason, and they didn't think it any further than that. So when they're like, we have to have Monty come out and explain this. So he's like, I don't owe you an explanation. Uh, we have mutual respect and lockdown will be about survival and pain. And he does the thing where it's like, he's being cryptic in a way that doesn't make me more interested in why he did it. He's being cryptic in a way that makes me think they don't have a reason for why he did it. Yeah. He's just doing like the WWE speak too. Yeah, he's lost all his personality. It's not a good not a good look at the moment for him. There's no tritons this month. <laughs> if the whole time he was like doing his same shtick while Jeff like he was like, Jeffrey, I love you <laughs> Doing his alien. We are best voice. friends now. <laughs> uh, April eighth, Dusty comes out and he makes the, the big announcement that is that lockdown, the whole building will be locked down, and every single match will take place inside the six sides of steel. It'd be very funny if they put a big cage around the building. They did! If you look very closely, fair enough, it's always there. But if you look very closely, there is actually like a, a cage fence that goes across the top of the impact zone. And I noticed that, I can't remember when I noticed it, but I was like, they did lock down the impact zone! Wow! <laughs> wow! I was so happy. So yeah, everyone in the world hates this stipulation except you defend it. I, I like lockdown. See, there, there's people who are like, oh, you burn out cage matches. Whereas I'm on the side of, I don't think cage matches are important enough anymore to burn out. So I'm kind of cool with people just doing a bunch of cage matches. I don't think cage, cage matches are that good, so I don't want to see a full pay-per-view of That's my take. That is a, a much more dramatic take that I think will get people angrier at you. Well, I'm sorry. All right. I <laughs> Gary, can you put like, big, like, making a speech 
music behind this. Sure. I am a child of the World Wrestling Entertainment. Okay? I was born in 1997. I didn't witness 80s. With your, your Kerry Von Erickson, your Ric Flair's in a cage. Okay? I didn't witness good cage matches. The cage match has no name value with me. It's just a cage. And half the time, I, the only thing I saw growing up was them throwing each other into the cage walls and over and over again. And trying to escape the cage. The cage has been ruined for me already. I don't want to see nine cage matches. I don't want to see them on the same show. We don't need them. I don't mind one or two. There's no need for nine. There's no need. Sorry for what Vincent Man has done to you. <laughs> and by extension, TNA, prolonging her trauma. Oh, say can you see? April 8th Impact. Mike Tanay once again introduces Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Fucking sick. The crowd once again chant drop the title. She dropped it twice. Well, the funny thing is, this time, like, they muffled the chants because, they, they again, they chant, shut the hell up at them, but they kind of muffle the audio, so you have to listen very, very closely to work out what they're saying because they keep interrupting his promos. And he's too stubborn to, like, let's do them backstage where they can't interrupt me. He's like, no, I'm going out there and I'm doing my promo and we'll cut the crowd audio when they boo me too much. That's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanae got in Jarrett's face about how Jarrett's going to get his at lockdown, and then Jarrett did his same old promo. Everybody's out to get me. I'm still here. This is my global warming, my world. It's my global warming? Yes, it's his global warming. He is causing the Earth to warm. Because of all the heat that he's generating in the impact zone. <laughs> I was going to say because of all the hot air he spews, but we'll give him the heat. <laughs> DDP jumps Jarrett. Outlaw tries to make the save, but DDP gets the better of him and bails. I like to imagine this bit right here. I like to imagine that's how they format the segments too. <laughs> Just those are your 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 bullet points. Yeah, same old Jared promo. Out to get him. Still here. Global warning. My world. Cradle chance. Shut the hell up. DDP jumps Jared. Outlaw takes nice save, but DDP gets the better of him and bails. And then they're right next to it. Twelve minutes. And they cut and paste it from. And there's like a date that says like November fifth, two thousand three. <laughs> and they've just been cut and pasting that in for two years. And it says Agent Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's producing his own segments. Oh, it 100% is. The main event of the April 15th show was The Outlaw and the Alpha Male Monty Brown versus DDP and Sean Waltman. I mean, this was a little weird one, right? Uh, it was nice to have stars in a main event. But, like, they kind of just... They fucked around for a little bit and then everything went crazy. Yeah, it was the classic, like... Because they gave it the special 15-minute time limit, even though when the match started, there were six minutes left in the show. <laughs> Well, obviously, um, they did the time-by thing that Tony does on Dynamite. Oh, yeah, they're going long. That the, the Tony does every week where he's like, we will stay with this as long as we need to, even though the match will still end at the top of the hour. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> like once it didn't. It's like three times. I think it's twice tops. Yeah, fuck you. They say it every week, though. It's like, oh, we will stay with this as long as we need to. Tony has talked to TBS and we're going to stay here. Oh, no, the match is still over by 10. Every single um, Wednesday, TBS gets a call at like three minutes from the top and they're like, yes, Tony, you can have the extra five if you need it. Yeah, you can go 15 seconds over time. You're fine. <laughs> he has to shoot call them every time. We're only cutting into power slap. We don't care. Fuck power slap. Damn right. Fuck Dana White too. Uh, Jarrett was out on commentary. That's where Tanae was shouting at him. 
Uh, Nash tried to get in, but there was an angle earlier in the show where Attorney Daggert walked up with a battered and bruised Chris Candido in a wheelchair. Ooh. So, Chris Candido, to me, is the, the Naturals guy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's how he gets it. <laughs> Little did I know. At the end of the last show, Nash showed up to beat up Candido and the Naturals. And now Candido's in a wheelchair being like, look what he did to me. Look what Kevin Nash has afflicted on poor, innocent Chris Candido. <laughs> Chris Candido is, is also a pretty great, like, um, goober for Jarrett. Yeah, goofs. Wrestling always needs more goofs. Yeah. Wrestling is like a natural goof form of entertainment. That's because there ain't nothing but goofs in the business, baby. Uh, owned. Uh, <laughs> including me. Including uh, both of us. Hey, we are cool people who watch TNA. Including every single podcaster. Well, though, all the other podcasters are goose. We're the good podcasters, Liam. Bro, I can't even name one other podcast. <laughs> name a podcast. Name, name a podcast. We need to bring back Name a Dirt Sheet. Yeah, it's been a while. Alright, we're going to bring it back, guys. That's now an official You've Got to Be Kidding Me bit. Yeah, we're going to make a Name a Dirt Sheet shirt and Rover can't sue us. Yeah, fuck off. No, I don't want to say it. <laughs> Go fuck yeah, Robert, and fuck you, Frey. <laughs> Dagger says security will eject Kevin Nash. <laughs> you were laughing so hard that you had to mute your mic and arrest him if he shows up. And then, <laughs> my favorite part of this segment: Candido had a towel in his hand, and he just kind of sadly threw it at Mike Denae and Don West. He was like, uh. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Nash tried to attack Jarrett at the start of the main event, but security, an army of security, was like 30 of them, <laughs> dragged him away. I mean, that's how many it takes to get rid of K. Nash. He's the Punisher, baby. He's not the Punisher. He's the big Popeye. He was determined, too. That man had a determined look on his face. Uh, everyone hit their big moves, and then Jarrett hit Waltman with a guitar, allowing Outlaw to pin him for the win. I enjoy when Waltman wrestles on these shows because he's one of the few who actually brings a little energy and urgency to his matches. Well, he seems to still care. And he, and his body is, like, with him enough to keep up with it. Yeah, when he does his, like, babyface comeback, which is just, like, spin kicks and bronco busters, Crowder into it. A DDP shows up, brawls backstage with Jarrett, where Nash once again tries to get his hands on him as we go off the air. Are you excited for this Kevin Nash big babyface run? Well, he is injured and doesn't wrestle. Hmm... <laughs> We need some sort of production crew, mm. right, to follow him around as he is progressing to go back to the ring. Yeah. I listen, I know he may get he may get hounded with that, you know, may consider them paparazzi. I actually didn't know where you were going there until you said the word paparazzi. <laughs> See, it was subtle, that's why. It's like, what's Liam doing with this? Oh, that's what Liam's doing with this bit. Yeah. There was barely any build to this match in the go-home show. They did a video package. So that brings us to Lockdown. Lockdown! On April 25th from the Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, in which Team Nash featuring not Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman and DDP face Team Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, Monty Brown and the Outlaw in a lethal lockdown match. Which is War Games rules for anybody who doesn't know. Two men start for a five minute interval, then people enter in two minute intervals until everybody is in and the pin or submission can only happen after everybody is in and everybody can bring a weapon with them because it's TNA. This is stinky. You you hated this more than I did. I thought it was fine. I thought they just hit each other with things and then did moves and it was alright. Oh, uh, it was dull. 
So it is worth noting Kevin Ash had a staff infection and couldn't show up. Yeah, Bert, like he he didn't he did appear on the pay per view. Yeah, that to prove it to us. I do think there is a little bit of like no one will believe Kev actually got hurt. I think there's a little of Kev who was like no one will believe I actually got hurt, and he's like. And they shouldn't either. I get it. <laughs> yeah, unless they show literally a zoomed-in close-up of my staff infection live on pay-per-view, then people will believe I can't wrestle. Mm. So he did show up to the show, and he didn't ask to get paid, which is very un-Kevin Nash-like. He's a team player. He even offered to be taken out, but they didn't do that. They also did some classic pro wrestling shenanigans. Where obviously they knew in the days before that he wouldn't make the pay-per-view. And they put out a statement on the website saying he wouldn't be there. Then pulled that statement and put out a statement saying, Oh, we don't know whether he'll be there. You'll have to find out. And then even on the pre-show, they were like, You'll have to tune into the pay-per-view to find out whether or not Kevin Nash will actually be wrestling on the pay-per-view. And it wasn't until that opening segment of the pay-per-view where they showed Nash with his nasty-looking staff infection. They're like, Oh, no, he's not in the pay-per-view match. This is just an... An awful PW Torch <laughs> article that makes me feel gross. Why? Just because it's so descriptive. Of all the things going on with his leg? Yeah. <laughs> his final concern that was with a pink raw wound on his leg. Mm. And with every match taking place in the cage, there will be a lot of bleeding. Yeah. They don't want to expose his infection to other wrestlers' blood, especially since Tina doesn't test its wrestlers for HIV. You say that as if they didn't show the the injury on the show. <laughs> I know, but it's like I'm reading the sentence and it's putting the image back in my head. Is it worse to read than to see? It's reminding me. Yeah, so Nash will be done for a while now because he's off shooting movies again. And also because he, as mentioned in that PW Torch interview, does not give a fuck. Yeah. So his replacement in this match, Liam was very pleased to learn, was BG James. <laughs> oh, the whiplash. Uh, Jarrett and Waltman spent most of the opening five minute period brawling on the floor because Lord fucking knows what else would Jeff Jarrett do in a cage match than brawl on the floor. I do admire his dedication to brawling around the arena. Do you think Sean Waltman came up to him with a list of ideas being like we could do this? Oh, what if we do this? And Jarrett's like, good ideas, pal. But what if we brawled in the arena? I think Jarrett went, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then... And Waltman's like, what are you doing? <laughs> they hit him with a guitar. Waltman is just so confused as Jarrett wanders around making noises. He's like, it's like the laugh from my entrance, do you get it? He's like, why did you hit me with a guitar four times? <laughs> because that's what I do. The Outlaw's out next, then DDP, then Monty, then Nash's replacement, who was BG, who wasn't revealed until he came out the tunnel. BG ran wild, attacking referees and cameramen. Then he had a stare-off with the Outlaw. They went face-to-face. They went nose-to-nose. Would the New Age Outlaws explode? But then Waltman hit the Outlaw with an X-Factor to stop them from doing anything. Pretty, like, weird, crazy one, too. Yeah, it was, like, one where the Outlaw lifted him for, like, a sky high, but then Waltman countered midair into an X-Factor. It looked odd. So yeah, we we will uh, have to learn at a later date whether or not BG and the Outlaw are on the same page. I think they aren't. (laughs) Monty pounced everybody, including, I think, the only instance in the history of wrestling of a double pounce? Surely Jordan's done it. Jordan who? Grace. She does the pounce. Has she pounced two people? I would think so. But yeah, Monty I don't think has ever double pounced. No, not not at this point at the very least. 
Yeah, this is the, obviously this is the first one. This is the first double pounce. He pounces is both DDP and BG James at the same time. I've seen someone pounce someone into someone else. Yeah. But I don't know if I've seen a straight up, I'm going to hit both. Yeah, I'm going to pounce two people, especially large men like BG and DDP. Those are heavyweights. And he'd be pouncing those dudes. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four-month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330, and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufiofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Anyway, Waltman tried to go for a victory roll, fell over, and went for a victory roll a couple seconds later to pin Monty to win. Monty attacked after the bell, but DDP and BG ran him off. Couldn't pin the jout, though. No, no, he's a star, you see. You can pin Monty all you want. Because he's super hot, fresh off his heel turn. Things are going so well for him. They clearly have a very thorough plan for what they're doing with this Monty Brown character. It's such a great story. It should get an Emmy frankly. Uh, BG and the Outlaw stared each other down, as that story will continue for a very long time. I say ominously. Foreshadowing. So Liam, as the War Games hater, the famous disliker of the War Games, I assume this is the match that has turned you around? Um, no. Damn. Not even with a double pounce? <laughs> no. What if all the War Games matches had double pounces? That would probably go tiresome. What if it was a War Games match with two rings, and he double-pounced two people from one ring to the other. I mean, now we're talking. Would that be the best War Games in, in the history of War Games? Oh, it really depend on the other 40 minutes of it, but <laughs> it helps. We'll see, can we finally get you to like a War Games match someday? <laughs> this isn't the one, this is never the one. <laughs> but maybe, you never I, know. I, I like I like some fake War Gameses. Mm-hmm. I like one of those NXT ones. Before they realized they did all of the same spots in all of the matches. Yeah, I like the blood and guts one where they all almost died. Was that the first or the second? The second. The one where Matt Menard hung upside down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it Angela Parker? I don't remember. It was actually it was Angela Parker. Ah, damn it! All two point are the same to me. But yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to think of it if there's another one I like. But so far in TNA War Games, we're zero for two. Yeah, for sure. I think you gave the first one like three stars, so you at least like liked it well enough, as opposed to this one, which you did hate. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for one that like I'm into, you know. Though? Mm. Like I'm looking for I'm looking for one to convert me. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get there. So the other major story in the heavyweight division this month was the main event. Of... <laughs> major story. Well, they did like three angles, and it wasn't bad. <laughs> so what more can you ask yeah. for? <laughs> But it was the build to the main event of Lockdown, which is Abyss facing the phenomenal AJ Styles. You are, you are. I am, I am. So I think the build to this was actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. But it was like two things. It was like two angles in a match. Yeah. But you know, you know, Garrett. I do. Not everything needs to be the greatest storyline of all time, the bloodline. So it's not getting an Emmy. I saw a tweet the other day that reminded me of this, but... I like, the tweet was, I like the idea that WWE fans think that specific storylines in TV shows win Emmys. Yeah, it's a category in the Emmys. Best storyline on a scripted television show. <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to give it to the B plot of this Soprano season. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really into what Tony did this year, but then, you know, some of those <laughs> other stories, those were pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> Crying. Maybe they should. Maybe they should start doing Emmys for that. Specific storyline Emmys would be kind of fun. Do they do episode Emmys? 
No? They probably should at least do episode Emmys, right? Hmm. It feels like a thing they should do. They should do best performance in a single scene Emmy. <laughs> yeah. Like, just when someone really hams it up and does some acting capital A. And none of the, like, the, the, like there have to be real rigid definitions on what they mean by scene. It's like, none of your bottle yeah. episode bullshit. If it goes longer than three minutes, it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you get three camera cuts. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to start shooting TV around that. It's like, it only has three cuts. Fair enough, it's two hours long, but there's only three cuts. That, that, sounds, that sounds like a great technical challenge, actually. Mm. So the March 25th Impact opened with a segment. I forgot that we were talking about wrestling, if I'm being honest. Trinity and Tracy were reviewing papers when Abyss showed up and pointed as as AJ just walked past. And then they just cut there. <laughs> that was the scene. Was was that the one where she's like, I know what you want? But like they broke it in two for some reason. So like this segment, and I went to check the like the actual broadcast first and to make sure it wasn't cut weirdly and it wasn't. So it was like a 15 second segment where Tracy and Trinity were reviewing papers, Abyss walked up, pointed, AJ walked past, glanced at them, and that was it. I was like, You stay away from those girls, Abyss. <laughs> like, AJ's getting more and more redneck. Yeah, naturally. So they ran the opening titles, and then Mike is like, now we're going to go back to that scene we started the episode with. I'm like, okay, why couldn't you just show it in full the first time? They had to cliffhanger it. Yeah, they had to get you through the opening titles of Impact. <laughs> They had to get you through the the Jeff Jarrett segment. (laughs) Because you had to see Jeff Jarrett in those opening titles. So you'd see the, like, 40 seconds of them, but, like, Jarrett's there. And you're like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do it today. But you're like, well, I I gotta see if Tracy and Trinity were murdered by Abyss. (laughs) So they cut back to that Abyss scene. Abyss wants his title match. Because if you remember last month, he walked up with his dripping wet torn contract and handed it to Tracy and Trinity. Oh, this is continuity as to why he's doing a second number one contenders match. Yeah, so they can't find his contract. And he once again hits their pose, causing them to faint. <laughs> I'm giving a best scene performance. <laughs> to a bit hitting his pose. Yeah. That should be a new um, category. In the end of your awards? In the end of your awards. Best scene. <laughs> So AJ's like, oh, I'm going to defend those women. And brawls with Abyss for a little bit. I'm going to defend those women. A man of the women. <laughs> I'm going to knock you straight off this flat earth. Oh, no. Oh. Sometimes I just have a, a brief memory where, where I remember that he's a flat earther and it makes me laugh. The The episode of Talking Smack is just an all-timer. I don't think the world's flat. <laughs> the earth is a sphere. <laughs> The deadpan delivery of the Earth as a sphere will live in my head until I die. Honestly, Talking Snack was the best thing they have done mm-hmm. in like ten years. Yep, I remember like when that when that, fuck this match when that um that like brand split first happened. Me and my friend we had like a um like a tradition for like a few a few weeks for that first month or whatever where we just go and watch like SmackDown and and Raw. And I remember, like, it became like, okay, let's get through SmackDown so we can put on Talking Smack. <laughs> you don't give a shit about what happens on SmackDown. You want Renee and... I am not a flat earther, but there are things that they say. Huh, I never thought about it like that. Here's the thing. You don't have to believe in anything that's told you. Like, you can always question anything. Is that my Lord Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> and although I'm not a flat earther, there are some things <laughs> that, like, make sense. 
<laughs> but then again, satellites, the curvature of the Earth. If you're a sniper, you got all that to take into account. <laughs> a lot of flat Earthers, <laughs> but they bring up some interesting points. Listen, it's interesting, and I think you should be able to question anything you want. They don't have to agree with everybody. So I would like to point out that this is a man who regularly wrestled in Japan. <laughs> so he is a man who has regularly flown across the earth, and I assume never looked out his window. But the fact that his point of reference for why it might not be flat is a sniper. <laughs> yeah. What is going through this man's mind that's like, well, you know, they say a lot of things that are, that are true, but then I have to think about how a sniper has to take account of the curvature of the Earth, so that really does present a compelling counterpoint. The only wait, wait, what does he say? I don't know who can say. The only person that ever told me or told the world the other planets exist is NASA. <laughs> no one has ever proved it other than NASA. The only person that ever told me or told the world that other planets exist is NASA. Has he never looked in the sky? <laughs> But there's a reason for all... They're making a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. They have a lot of money coming in. NASA is not an American thing. It's a world thing. Oh, a lot of people don't know that. that so when that you was, start asking no, questions, no. there are not a lot of answers no, no, no. sometimes. AJ, you're saying too many wrong things in a sequence of a sentence. I'm, I'm going to pass out. Like, all the blood has rushed to my head. You have embodied the AJ too much so that there's actually nothing left in your brain to process anything. Oh, AJ Styles. This is 2017. That was five years ago. He could have... Six years ago. He could have evolved. I hope so. I doubt it, but I hope so. I don't know who can say. The only person that's ever told me or told the world that other planets exist is NASA. You can see them with your own eyes. Look in the sky! I fucking... I love you, AJ Styles. He's my favorite wrestler of all time. <laughs> and this is this is what you get. Can't trust to enjoy anybody. Fucking NASA's a world institution. <laughs> I like how I'm doing different Southern accents every time. Mm. It's not staying consistent. My favorite part was when even you were like doing the reading and passing voice, you still did it. <laughs> Even the skim through to find the point I want, you did it in the HA voice. <laughs> the April 1st episode of Impact, Mike Today and Don West announced that the second Steel Cage match at Lockdown will be the phenomenal AJ Styles versus the Monster Abyss. And Dusty said that was determined through all the emails from the fans around the world. Yeah, around the, the millions. I wish they would have emailed them to tell them to book up at a wrestling show. I wish they would have watched the wrestling show. Mm. Opening match on that show was Abyss versus Cassidy Riley. Styles was on commentary. Abyss won with a black hole slam. He pulled thumbtacks from under the ring, but Jeff Hardy made the save? Of course, it makes perfect sense. AJ's literally sitting there at the announce desk. I did think it was funny that AJ, like, kind of looked too scared. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm not getting in the ring with Abyss. He has thumbtacks. <laughs> that, that guy's really dangerous. Even then, like, after Hardy made the save, Raven then jumped Hardy, and they were beaten on Hardy two-on-one for a while, and AJ was still standing there, being like, ah. <laughs> And he's like, someone should help him! Yeah. <laughs> I like Mike and Don pleading. It's like, no, you can't go there, AJ. It's too dangerous. <laughs> I like the idea that, like, they, me they meant it, like, passive-aggressively. Like, no, AJ, you can't go there. It's, it's too dangerous. You fucking cowardly bitch. Uh, AJ did eventually make the save. He eventually nutted up. Oh. <sighs> 
Sorry, I'm still worn out. <laughs> the April 8th episode of Impact had AJ Styles versus Chase Stevens in a wrestling match that happened. Yes. Sadly, we had that run of really good five-minute AJ TV matches. Chase Stevens clearly doesn't got it in him. Yeah, you don't know, he don't have a dog in him. He's no Andy Douglas. He never had one against Andy Douglas, Liam. He's no Johnny Devine. Sorry, Ugh. he's no A1. <laughs> Fuck you. My favorite moment on the watch along, if you go to tnhat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me. So A1 is at ringside for the lockdown tag title match. And I'm like, look, it's Johnny Devine. And Liam's like, I mixed them up again. And I gaslit him. It was very funny. Shake my head. I am messing with Liam's mental state, which AJ Styles has already done enough of right now. Yeah, I'm... It also kind of hurt my voice. <laughs> to do the AJ voice? To do whatever those voices were. Uh, Styles had Stevens pinned, but Douglas and Candido interfered. Styles reversed the powerbomb into the Styles Clash for the win. Then Abyss came out with a chair. And my favorite part of that was AJ was walking up the ramp to leave, but he didn't realize Abyss was there yet. So Abyss started hitting the top of the turnbuckle, the, like the post with the chair, to get AJ's attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so AJ could turn around and then security could separate them. Abyss is a worker. He's like, turn around. <laughs> turn around. I did like Don mentioning that AJ saw Abyss on the screen because he was walking toward the ramp and he could see Abyss on the screen. But clearly he didn't notice because he still didn't turn around for five minutes. Yeah. Franchise had Styles and Hardy on the April 15th episode. <laughs> In the best segment of the month. So Styles does a regular promo. He's like, I'm afraid of what Abyss can do, but the right kind of afraid. The one that will give me gumption when it comes. Hardy does a promo about his cage match against Raven. We'll talk about that in a sec. And then they finish the promo. They're like, we're going to face Abyss and Raven next week in the Impact Main Event. We're all very happy in franchise. They're like, ooh, franchise, I'm thrown to the next segment. And then Raven just walks in and bonks Jeff Hardy in the head with a trash can. A very satisfying bonk. It is. He comes out of nowhere. He bonks him. Like, poses for a little bit, AJ come, runs back into frame, and then that's it. That's the segment. <laughs> that's the build to the Raven and Hardy match, which we'll talk about in a sec. Mm. Which has just as many segments as the build that this one has, really. It's all you need. And then main event of the Go Home Show, April 22nd, is Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles versus a Raven and a Biss. So, I enjoyed this match quite a bit. Yes. Just because, and they mention it in that um, Shane Douglas interview, that this may be, like, the most star-studded main event mm. in Impact history. And I kind of, like, agree. <laughs> yeah. Like, just having these four guys on TV really does it, you know? Like, it 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 brings it up another level. And I think, like, Abyss and Raven are great foils for AJ and Jeff. Mm. And I, I don't even mind doing the DQ finish because they're all going into cage matches. Yeah, so there can be no DQs. And Raven and Abyss look like monsters at this point mm. so i really think yeah i just think it was a good combination of stuff that led to a pretty good match the only reason like we're taking any more seconds to discuss this than we normally would is because it was like a three-star match which on tv in this company is like oh we must talk about it <laughs> it's like if like roosh and danielson had happened yeah you get on your knees and you praise the sun that there was a decent little television match in these six episodes of television yeah there's two whole decent little television matches this month, I'll have you know. Name seven more. I said two, but... <laughs> Let me tell you. Name seven more, then. But three live crew against Lex Lovett, Buck Quarterman, and David Young. All right, you've done it. Yeah, like, they give this match the special 30-minute time limit. I think it goes, like, 12 either way. But still, it's nice that they're like, this is an important match featuring stars in the main event of Impact. 
Hey guys, we have them. I know. It's even like the lazy thing we've talked about where it's just like, let's throw two pay-per-view matches together in a tag before the pay-per-view. But again, it works. But it makes sense with these guys, to be fair. And they did set up an angle with the, the attack and save stuff and the backstage promo. So it's not just out and, of nowhere. And also like Jeff and AJ have teamed before and they're just coming off the Jeff Abyss feud. Mm. So there's a reason for that. Raven and AJ are feuded. So like there's interconnectivity, which it kind of brings it up a level. It all goes together. It all flows like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. It's poetry in motion. Ah, ah. Matt's not coming in yet. Sorry. Which Jeff and AJ hit. <laughs> they did. They're the real Hardy brothers. No one needs Matt. You have Jeff and AJ. I was trying to think think of another disparaging flat earth <laughs> remark, but I couldn't. Abyss goes to hit Hardy with the chain, but Styles took the chain shot for his partner, Hardy, causing the DQ. Then Abyss whipped AJ with a chain. Raven threw Hardy through a table on the floor. Then Abyss wrapped the chain around AJ's neck and yanked him into a chair in the corner. As you said, all that stuff just made Abyss and, and Raven seem like killers. We're just like beating the shit out of AJ and uh, Hardy in interesting ways. It's not just like generic brawling. It's not like the, the Naturals thing where it's like a few stomps and Kevin Nash is supposed to be hurt. Like Hardy was thrown through a table on the floor. Uh, Styles was dragged through a, a chair in the corner. They tried to do a stretcher job on Styles. Abyss attacked him, but then Styles like fired up and started punching him as he went off the air. There was like good energy to this angle. Yeah, and felt like the crowd was into it. It felt like an actual angle, which most things on this show don't. It feel it felt they both feel like real mid card matches between actual people, mm. which is a big plus over the trash that we normally get given. <laughs> so the main event of lockdown for the number one contendership for the NWA World Championship, the phenomenal AJ Styles versus Abyss. It's not the one, you know. It's not the Abyss AJ Styles. Cage match. Yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. Isn't the NWA title one? There is no NWA title match. This is the what? AJ Styles Abyss match. Oh my god, I've had a stroke and imagined I was watching a different match. I think it's just because you were too busy making my D&D character to notice. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I swear to god they had a different one, but I guess I'm crazy. No, this is their match. This is the AJ Styles Abyss match. It fucking rocks. Oh my god, it is too. Oh, actually. Gary, guess what? What? Um, I'm now gonna ro- I'm gonna rolodex my mind back to the other time I watched this and really liked it. Then, <laughs> mm. ah, you know, sometimes when you're doing a show, guys, you have to perform <laughs> and you have to make things compelling. Uh huh. And when that happens, you sometimes forget to pay attention to the match. Sometimes you are too busy inventing McGiggins Johnson, <laughs> the Wood Elf, <laughs> to to pay attention to AJ Styles versus Abyss. In their fucking awesome kick-ass match. Yeah, this match rocks! <laughs> Let it be noted, if you go and listen to the watch-along, you will hear multiple attempts for me to get Liam's attention on matches. You Like, you I, I'm fine when he goes on tangents during, like, fucking BG James. He can do that all he wants. I'm talking about Liam in the third person now. He's not in the room. Liam, don't listen. Do you want me to leave? <laughs> so, I, 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 I do my best every time. It's like, no, this is a good thing. You should pay attention to this one. You can do your bits elsewhere, sir. <laughs> it was like, what I am. <laughs> I was tired. You were too busy making me a D&D character. <sighs> my jaw hurts. Um, yeah, okay, well then, I do know this match quite well. This match rocks. <laughs> yeah, this match is awesome. Unlike, it's funny, yeah. you have the back-to-back matches that start with floor brawling. One of which is not compelling whatsoever, and one of which is this AJ Abyss match with the Stars. This is the best. Like the best part of the match might be like the three minutes on the floor at the start. Yeah, AJ 
again, like he has those Gumby men instincts mm-hmm. and is just running around getting destroyed. And I think, you know what this match kind of is? What? Bonesaw versus Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's always the comparison I think of personally. But you know what I mean? It kind of is, right? Mm. Like, it's AJ trying to, like, duck around, and, but he, and he knows if he gets caught, he's going to get destroyed. And he takes that crazy fucking <laughs> cage door to the head. Yeah, which is a, like, top five cage mat spot of all time. And it's just a cage door being swung into his face. Because he lands on his fucking skull. And he's, like, completely decapitated by the thing. It hits him right square in the jaw. It looks absolutely amazing because as you said not only does it hit him right in the face he takes the perfect bump for a, 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 a cage door hitting him in the face it looks ridiculous if you listen to Mike Tanay Mike Tanay like yelps because th- they're talking about something else because Abyss hits him in the back with the cage door and they're like they were building a D&D character at the day. <laughs> yeah they're also talking about McGiggins Johnson and <laughs> AJ, and like it almost takes Tanay by surprise because he's like oh Jesus <laughs> He, it's like that level of tone. He goes like full Rick and Morty. <laughs> like that's how high pitched he becomes. Oh, jeez, Don! <laughs> because he just witnessed the man have his head taken off right in front of him. I also absolutely fucking adore the jump start to this match because AJ comes out first, does his entrance. Abyss comes out. Abyss is standing right outside the cage door, ready to go in. And AJ Styles hits a flip dive between like the cage, the ropes, and the top of the cage. It's a really striking image. It is, and like the. the if he gets the dive wrong, he hits the top of the cage, it could go wrong. But it just looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, AJ's control of his body is on full effect in this match. Because, mm. yeah, there's a bunch of stuff around ringside as well where he, like, slides under the rail and hits a, a dive off the rail. He dives over the front, like, four rows. Like, Abyss throws him into the crowd. He leaps over the crowd and comes back with a forearm. And you can actually see Abyss, like, try to get the people in front of him to duck so AJ doesn't hit them in the back of the head as he does a flying forearm over him. Yeah. I like that he he he, he kind of half-showed concern. Mm. He's like, I don't want to, like, take you out, but I will. <laughs> yeah. You signed a release, presumably. There was probably a sign somewhere saying you enter here at your own risk. Which apparently is a big deal. <laughs> Why? Did you see? Did you see that? No. Oh, people got very like mad at AEW because they had one of those. The standard "Don't sue us" disclaimer. Yep. God damn it! Don't be fans. They're like, um, actually, that wouldn't hold up in court. My dad is a lawyer, and he says that that wouldn't work. Well, their dad's a lawyer. They said so. <laughs> True, and their uncle works at Nintendo. Oh, what are they releasing? Pokemon DLC. Damn, that's gonna be right next week, and people are gonna think your your uncle does in fact work at Nintendo. And my dad is a lawyer. <laughs> and that was my opinion about AEW. And your uncle is Shigeru Miyamoto. It's true. Somebody's uncle is Shigeru Miyamoto, probably. Maybe. We have to find out if he has siblings first. Yeah. We'll come back to you next month with that answer. <laughs> the deep research on the Hard Justice episode. And also whether or not Liam was right about the Pokemon DLC. Oh, if I'm right, you have to go to the Patreon at the $1 tier. I'm not a monster. <laughs> so then they get in the, the ring and the match starts. Yes, which means we have to ignore everything that happened before this point when rating the match. Yeah, unfortunately, it's only a two and one quarter star match because <laughs> all the good stuff happened outside the ring. Now, but then the rest of the match rocks too. Abyss goes for a press slam onto like a wrapped up chain and AJ t- turns it into a DDT right on top of the chain. Yeah, and we were talking about how small of a target that is. Yeah, because he, he wraps it into like a, 
as I it's like a coil. Yeah, into a coil. Like a snake. He is a snake. He's a snake on the plane. S- snake in the back. Snake in the grass. Snake in the tax. I tried to stretch it to make it sound like grass. It didn't work. <laughs> so yeah, it's a very small target that they nail. Oh god damn it! Snake in the back. Snake in the tax. <laughs> but they nail it perfectly. Abyss hits a black hole slam and Styles becomes the first person in TNA history to kick out of the black hole slam. Yay. Uh, then Styles hits a Styles Clash into Thumbtacks. It's not quite the full Styles he Clash. It's a Diamond Clash, actually. Is that, does that have a name? Yeah, it's the DDP used to do it. Did he? Without locking the. Without doing the legs. Yeah, because it, it's a Styles Clash where he doesn't hook the legs, so he just lifts them up and drops them down. Closer to, like, the, the Cesaro neutralizer. You know, I, I say that DDP used to do it, mm-hmm. but. It was just his finisher in one of the 2K games, so I assume he used to do it at some point. <laughs> they couldn't possibly be wrong. And it was called the Diamond Clash, so... And they couldn't possibly be wrong. They never have been before. So yeah, right into tax, and the Abyss kicked out. AJ started climbing the cage, and then Abyss just fucking yeeted Andrew Thomas into it. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple real nasty looking bumps into the ropes. Where, like, he just picks Andrew Thomas up and launches him into the side of the cage in the ropes to knock AJ off the cage. And poor Andrew Thomas, that's a hell of a bump. He went, like, under his arm and, like, hip into the top rope. Mm. Abyss is so good at playing a, like, wild beast. Yeah. Like, we were talking about it at one point, AJ's on the cage and Abyss just, like, headbutts in it, <laughs> like, charges at yeah. it. Like, like, he's a fucking wild boar. Not the NXT UK wrestler wild boar. Wow. He's probably not there anymore, is he? Nah, he got canned. Oh, I feel bad for Wild Boar. Hope Wild Boar lands on his feet. At uh, Attack Pro Wrestling. All four of his feet, because he's a Wild Boar. He's a Wild Boar, I get it. He can't see the sky, so he probably thinks the Earth's flat. <laughs> I shouldn't say that about Wild Boar. Come on, you don't know that about Wild Boar. Because pigs can't look up. Is that true? Yeah, pigs can't look I up. I suppose, how would, how, would that, how would that... That's not true. Why? How come when you feed a pig, they look up to get the food? How are you? You're not feeding pigs from above. You hold your hand out and they reach their neck up and they eat the food. Yeah, but they can't look look at the sky. They're using like their feet and stuff. <laughs> I feel like they could see the sky if they look if they can look up to see my hand. There's a whole bit about it in Nope. I know. All right, spoilers for Nope. So the whole thing about Nope is the alien is in the sky and when you look at it, it comes for you. Excuse me, the biblically accurate angel. Yes. So there's a thing where like a pig survives because a pig can't look up. Well, if it was in a movie, it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> think Jordan Peele would lie to me? Yes. I think everything in that film is accurate. Biblically accurate. All the things that are being shot down by Joe Biden recently are actually those biblically accurate angels. <gasps> That'd be so sick. Uh, I can't even remember what led us on. Oh, Abyss is a wild boar. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he, uh, he throws Andrew Thomas into the cage with knocks, knocks AJ down, dangling from the outside. Abyss then hangs AJ with a chain, but AJ makes a comeback, hits a sunset with powerbomb off the cage into tax to win. And AJ Styles will challenge Jeff Jarrett at hard justice for the NWA Championship in May. I'm sure that'll go well for him. Haha, <laughs> wink. <laughs> and yeah, this match rocked. This match fucking rocks. It's the, probably the peak of Abyss's career. It's AJ working with a big man. It fulfills like the promise these two had. Because when we watch their matches in like 0304, they're like, they never had their match, but they clearly have just great chemistry together. But it never quite came together. And this is where it comes together. Well, it was a match that like was so impactful that 
literally I remembered the other times I'd seen it <laughs> because I was distracted during it this time. And all those things like still came through mm. even like, cause I hadn't watched it that long ago. I'd watched it maybe like eight months ago. I don't know why. I think it may have just been like on the impact YouTube and I was looking for something to watch, but this feels like one of those matches that helps elevate AJ too. Yeah. Like AJ has those guys and I think we're about to see it a lot with Joe, but like this feels like a precursor to the Joe stuff. Where it's dude who just kills him, just eats him up. Yeah. And he is like the perfect bumper, the perfect seller. He has credible comebacks. And when he wins, it really feels like he's overcome an obstacle. And even when he loses, yeah. it feels like he's gained something because he's, he's fought so valiantly against the immovable force. Because he's AJ Styles. Like, as I said, this, this is the year where it's like, oh, like Abyss is, as I said, this is probably the peak of Abyss as a wrestler for, for various reasons. I think both opportunity and both his body begins to break down a couple of years after this. He also separates his shoulder in this match. Yes, that, that is a note. He separated his shoulder during the main event and he was able to walk around normally, but he's, he had his shoulder iced down to prevent further swelling and damage. I'd say he probably took that on the finish, though, I'd imagine. Um, yeah? Yeah. Because he took a Sunset Flip Powerbomb off the ropes, AJ coming off a cage. So there's a, probably a decent amount of force on that. Yeah. Yeah, Abyss at his peak, AJ at his peak. Perfect pro wrestling. They beat the shit out of each other. This is a great main event. Good work, guys. Uh, we already covered a decent amount of it, and there's not much more they built to it, but Raven and Jeff Hardy. The actual match? Uh, the build first. The other two segments they had. <laughs> What were the other two segments they had? Well, there was the one that instigated it, which is also, uh, once again, one of my favorite segments. Oh, yeah, well, they were, like, Raven's like, hey, man, uh, you're real popular mm-hmm. with Hot Topic. Yeah. And Raven's like, I'm real popular with Hot Topic and people who drink Jack Daniels. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like the two different spectrum of emo dudes. Yeah. And I think we could be the greatest metalcore band of all time if we unite. Mm. And then Jeff's like, no. But politely, he's like, uh, no, man, I'm good. And then Raven's like, fuck you! I don't want to team anyway! I don't want to team anyone anyway! <laughs> and that's the entire basis of their feud. Yeah, it's pretty great, to be honest. That's all you need. We've literally covered all the other segments. There's the segment where Raven attacks Cassidy Riley and Abyss and Styles makes the save. There's the segment where Raven hits him with a trash can. Then there's that main event tag. That's that's everything in this feud. Garrett, do you remember when on one of these... This is a, a rare... <laughs> a rare different, you remember. Mm. How on one of these shows there was two matches? Yeah. Like, that's where we're at at the moment. <laughs> Shit's crazy. Well, one of them was a, like a 21-minute main event, to be fair. Yeah, and then there was one that had like three matches as well. There was two four-match cards. I do feel like this month they are messing with format a little more. Yeah, I think they're trying to find out some different things. They're trying to work out, like, what does Impact look like if we have one long main event, a couple of features, and a squash? What does Impact look like if we have, like, three decent length matches, two of which are, like, star-driven, because the other match on that that three-match card is AMW The Naturals. What does Impact look like if we have a full pay-per-view eight-match card? (laughs) All of which are squashes. So yeah, I do think they're they're kind of tweaking and experimenting with the format of Impact a little bit to see what it looks like. Especially because, as I said, they're going into TV now, they're shooting three at a time. Which I think hurts the TV a little bit because like, not like the crowd were super energetic for TV as it is. But because that crowd has to sit mm. through three Impact tapings now, full of like 75 squash matches, it just kind of lose interest. So I think even some of the good matches lose a bit of energy. But I also think part of that is like, they're throwing together shows 
and throwing together stuff and maybe they probably shoot a little too lit they're not used to like shooting three shows in a row so they're not used to formatting three shows in a row so sometimes they're probably light and heavy on how much they've shot versus how much they need so uh, they're they're probably like fumbling their way through it yeah it was an interesting month for seeing how tv panned out hmm so yeah, those are all the the builds. We then takes us to Jeff Hardy versus Raven in a tables match. It's never really announced as a tables match. I'm sure it says it on the scroll at one stage, but there's never like a moment where like this is going to be a tables match. This match rocks. <laughs> this is like the dumbest, stupidest match, but in a good way. Yeah, this is what you want from Jeff Hardy and Raven. Like you're not going in there expecting work rate classic from this. You want them to hit each other with shit. You want them to fall through tables, which they do a lot. Mm. You want to look at spots and be like, ooh, how's that going to work? And that happens. Yeah. So it's just a complete car crash in a cage with a bunch of tables. And I will give them credit here. This is one of the matches and one of the reasons I thought, despite the fact that I have a visceral negativity towards an old cage pay-per-view, the way they did it, I think it worked out fine because these matches did feel different. And that's the major component of it. And this is one of those matches that just felt different. Because they didn't really focus much on the cage beyond using it as a platform of which to fall off. Which is the ideal for cage matches, frankly. Yeah. And plus, that final bump of that match looks like so much fun. Yeah, so they they do... Uh, they solve, I think, the fatal flaw with tables matches in that there's one table bump. And there's a bunch of matches that have lots of table bumps and they're good. And they're like, alright, so we have to work multiple table bumps into this in order for it to be interesting. So like within the first two minutes, Raven charges through a table and misses and crashes and burns. Yeah. Perfect. That's how you do a. That's how you do a table match. Yeah, Hardy goes for a swanton off the cage. Also crashes and burns through a table. Yeah, you know what I've always wanted. What? And you can pitch this. Mm. All right, Iron Man table match. Ooh, like sixty. You don't have to go sixty, but like, say it's like twenty minutes, right? Twenty minute Iron Man match, mm. and it's just whoever goes through the table the more times. Yeah, I think that would work. Yeah, it'd be an awesome match, right? And it, especially if you did it with, like, a team, like a tag team mm. table IMA match. Because then, like, people can have breaks and don't have to go through 17 themselves. They can split it up. But I just think it'd be fun. And, like, to see how high that number could get, too. Yeah, I think I might top it out at 15 minutes. Because I think 20 might feel a little long. Mm. Especially when it's essentially the same spot over and over again. But yeah, I think that idea rocks. People should do it. Alright, right, write it down. We all know that this podcast is incredibly influential. You can call it Tag T table turmoil <laughs> there you go t4. t4 the t4 match and the pain bow they're free people can take them <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well free free <laughs> i'm giving away liam's intellectual property uh but yes i think that's a that's a fantastic idea it is so they opened the cage door and raven crotched hardy on the cage door but then hardy immediately swung the door into raven's head <laughs> not as good as the other time and then hit the stupidest thing in this match so he closes the cage door again and he's on top of the cage and he just <laughs> he just kind of falls onto Raven who gets his foot up but Jeff lands like feet first after falling off a cage or like landing off a cage. Yeah, he does a double stomp to the ring. I don't know how he doesn't just break his knees. If I was him, my shin would have shot up my leg and pierced through my patella and just like gone all the way through. And like, as he said, he's not even doing a double stomp. He's doing like, he's just a, a fly, a classic. Like, he's just falling onto his ankles yeah. and knees. It's like a classic pro wrestling flying nothing. And Raven gets his foot up, but he does it off a fucking cage. <laughs> It's insane. So as you mentioned, the finish. They stack four tables, the classic two-on-two. Andrew Thomas actually helps him, which is very nice of him. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm not going to get mad about that. A referee assists with, with construction. Well, it comes back to bite Raven in the ass anyway. Yeah, so they climb up onto the ropes, and then Hardy knocks Raven onto these two stacked tables in a way that would terrify me that those tables would hold. Because he very, like, softly, gingerly lies on them, just in case they tumble. Yeah. But, like, wouldn't you just love to do this Jeff Hardy dive? Yeah, so the finish is Hardy climbs the top of the cage while Raven is lying on top of the 2 by 2 stack. Is it 2 by 2 or is it 6? It's 2 by 2 no, it's too bad too. You're it's right. too high, too wide. Yeah. I thought it might have been too high, three wide. Which again just sounds even more fun. It does. Hardy just ass first cannonballs off the top, plummeting Raven through a few of the tables. Two of them didn't break, but it looked great. It looked like it just looked like so much fun. It's just like wee Yeah, it just went boom 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 boom. Like going down a bumpy slide. Yeah, it wasn't even the case where like, oh that looked like it sucked for Raven. It looked like it was probably okay for him too. Yeah. Like, Jeff broke the tables, he just slid. It, it, it is as well as that bump could have gone, I think it went. If I was Raven, I would have started chuckling on the way down. <laughs> oh, it's <was> fun. <laughs> Listen to these tables break beneath me. Yeah, and what a satisfying sound, too. Yeah, and Hardy does win the steel cage tables match. I went four on this. I thought it rocked. What did I go? I went three and a half? Three half. Good match, fun match, silly match, but the right kind of silly Two match. Two four-star matches on this card for me. Wow, and you were like, this show isn't even good. By TNA standards, this is show of the year. Well, it's probably not. They've had some good shows. Not this year, but generally. They would have run away with it in 2004. Oh, it wouldn't have even been a question. That brings us over to the tag division. The main feud of the month was America's Most Wanted versus Team Canada. Was it? <laughs> it was a feud this month. Okay, so here's when, you know, we were being pleasant about how they were, you know, booking things. Mm. Uh, this one is where we lose it, because this, why did this happen? So, AMW had three matches this month, and I'm going to challenge you to look away from the notes and name them. Okay. Not including the pay-per-view match, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I know that they wrestled the big boys <laughs> that were Tracy's team, or Trinity's team. By Delta Slam. They, they were Trinity's team. I'm surprised that's the one you read. That's a that's an impact main event, by the way. And also, they win by DQ. They can't even pin Trinity's team. I remember that one because as I was watching it, I was like, if a- if AMW can have a great match here, they might be the best tag team of all time. <laughs> they wrestled the Naturals in some capacity. In two capacities, some might say. Did they wrestle the Naturals in a t- regular tag and then in a six-man? Damn right they did. Okay. Yeah, it was the Candido and Justin... You know what? You remember it, so you've undermined my bit. So, Justy's booking is good! I'm sorry. I just remember the naturals, and then I was like, well, technically you gave me the answer. That's true. Because you said that they wrestled them twice. So, March 18th Impact, Dustin Rhodes and America's Most... (laughs) You gotta cut that whole section. (laughs) Gone. Doesn't exist. Uh, March 18th Impact, Dustin Rhodes and America's Most Wanted defeat Chris Candido and the naturals in a match that would probably be good if it was longer than two and a half minutes. Maybe. (laughs) I don't have a lot of faith in Dustin at the moment. But he's in there with AMW and Candido and the Naturals are pretty good. <laughs> I like how you got whiny with it. Yeah, I have to get he's in there I have to get, I have to get higher pitched to defend the thing. I don't really believe it. <laughs> uh, they did have the, like a cool power bomb where AMW did the thing they always do where they like uh, hip tossed them into their own arms but then they passed them off into Dustin to a power bomb. That was cool. Yeah, I have another thing I want to talk about. What's it about? It's not wrestling related. Go for it. So, like, the AI stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, the voice stuff? Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Yeah. Just wanted to bring that up. Scares you, makes you think you won't have a job anymore? Well, a bit of that, but also just, like, 
truly terrifying to like this idea that you could just mimic someone's voice perfectly at this point. The weirder thing that's going to happen, I think, is less them doing it with people who are still alive. Well, you say that, but on my screen right now, there is a a, a TikTok of George W. Bush, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump playing Call of Duty Zombies. Yeah, stop it. But, like, like <laughs> in terms of, like, from the law perspective, like, ultimately, you will own your own voice, and people can't use it without your permission. So you'll be able to sue people. The thing that's going to become really weird for me is when families and estates of people who are dead begin selling like their dead famous family members voices for things. When do dead people become free use? Well, I, I don't think their voice does. I'm not sure there's precedent for that, though. So that's what I'm saying. This is a new thing. It's like. After a hundred years, fucking Steamboat Willie is is for use or whatever. Like, is it the same for people's voice and likeness? Yeah, after Michael Douglas dies, you can make all your own Ant Man movies. Yeah, that's gonna be that's just, that's totally gonna be a thing that Marvel make people sign in the future. Oh yeah, if you die, we're allowed to use your voice. But like that, that is the real creepy part. As this stuff gets better, where like when these corporations have permission. They'll do it because they do all the weird de-aging stuff. They dystopian state. They already put dead people in movies now. Yeah. Never mind when they can do it better. I don't like it. Never mind when they can make them act. We are still sitting on the precipice of like the mother of all class action lawsuits against all of the AI, these AI because they were all built off copyrighted material. Hopefully, that's enough to fuck them all. You know what I saw the other day? What? While I was looking at a uh, voice acting work. There was like three or four different posts from companies that are like, come lend your voice to our AI thing. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you for A, doing it, and fuck you for promoting it on these sides specifically. Mm. Hey, come help us replace you. <laughs> yeah. Fucking thanks. <laughs> Troy Baker. Yeah, Troy Baker wants to do it anyway. He's fine. <sighs> that guy. Yeah, it's going it's to be a weird thing. Because as I said, I think on one of our paywall shows, like NFTs were a grift. They're not a real thing. Oh no, as 700 followers unsubscribe. I don't care. There, like, there, There's no like real value beneath NFTs. It was all like a pyramid scheme. Whereas like AI will get better and scarier and like it, we have to be very careful about the ways we use it. Otherwise it will cause chaos and havoc. It's gonna cause chaos and havoc. Sure will because we'll be like 15 years too late to regulate it. But that, that'll be fun. We're not meant to have this. No, we're not. This isn't a thing that's meant to exist. We, we have gone too far. Uh, we're talking about AMW against the Team Canada. <laughs> uh, Dustin and AMW beat Chris Candido and the Naturals after a death sentence. Uh, they pinned Andy Douglas. Uh, you've, you've seemed to have lost a lot of chutzpah after the AI conversation. You've taken the life out of me. They should AI me back in now so that I'm, in, I'm enthusiastic. From now on, everything that is said is going to be generated by AI. Hello, I have six fingers. If you don't know what that reference is, apparently, like, this fingers is always the tell with AI art. You look and they constantly fucking put six fingers in there. Because they, they don't get how people work. They, they don't. They don't understand the human anatomy. They have not stolen enough copyrighted material about the human anatomy to process it. Main event, March 25th, the AMW faced Fly Delta Slam. What a match. A television main event anywhere in the world, some might say. Go on, find out the slammer here, guys. Talk about them. No. Run down this TV main event for me. <laughs> no. I don't. Ugh. 
I mean, listen, mm. AMW went out there, they tried. They did? Nothing happened. Then Team Canada came out and attacked them. And then Fight Out to Slam tried to do their big shit. And then Dustin came out and saved them. Clearly, the answer here is Fight Out to Slam join Team Canada and fight them in the cage. Are, are Team Canada a member of a uh, 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 fraternity? That's the word I'm looking for. I mean, they look like college bros. They do look like a bunch of frat bros. You're not wrong. From about... Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. And then Scott DeMore can play, like, the hockey coach at the u- at the college or university, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, ah, uh, I know these boys are trouble, but I let them get away with it because I'm the fucking... Hockey's so important, I guess. They also even wear, like, Letterman jackets. Exactly. God, this actually works perfectly. Never mind. Once again, T4, <laughs> Phi Delta Slam, Team Canada. I've, I've nailed Painbow. it. Painbow. Painbow. Oh, trust me, one day. Uh, yeah, that's the match. It was a, uh, somehow, it's, uh, somehow, not the worst TV main event this month. No. Dustin Rhodes and Cassidy Riley faced Lex Lovett and David Young, AMW, were on commentary. They were like, we're happy it's a cage match because we're good at cage matches. That is, like, the the consistent theme of AMW. They are very good at cage matches. And then Go Home Show, April 22nd, you had AMW versus The Naturals. Kate faked. He did the Kevin Nash. Uh, worst version of the Kevin Nash. There was no, like, fun reveal. Yeah. The Kevin Nash, if you don't know, is where he's sitting in the wheelchair and he pulls up and it turns out the cast leg is actually fake and he's fine. Where they did that, he... You youthful kids that listen may know it as the Xavier Woods. <laughs> yeah, they'd, they'd steal it. That upsets me if they do know it as the Xavier Woods. Or that one mascot. Oh yeah, I remember that and everyone was freaking out because it's like, it's the Nash! <laughs> it's the Nash! So yeah, Candido jumped out of his chair, hit Chris Harris mid-catatonic, which I think oh, I thought was actually the cool part of it because he still hit the catatonic on Stevens, but then he hit Harris as he was mid-catatonic with the cast and rolled Stevens onto him for the Naturals to pin AMW. I like this little pairing of these three. Candido and the Naturals? Yeah. Yeah, it works, doesn't it? I think a part of it is I literally have always associated the Naturals with Chris Candido. Mm. So it kind of just feels like coming full circle. But yeah, I don't know. I like them as a pairing. It's kind of like them hanging out with their scummy uncle. Yeah, and like the biggest problem with the Naturals is they're just not charismatic. Yeah. They're nice little wrestlers. They have like a good aesthetic. They look good. They have good gear. They have good gear. They're in good shape. They're just not charismatic. So you do need to put yeah. somebody with them. And I think Chris Candido really helps They're with that. They're a little deer in the headlights. Mm. And then Chris Candido brings a little personality, a little, a little gumption to them. A little chutzpah. Lockdown. World Tag Team titles. AMW defended them against the Team Canada combination of Petey Williams and Eric Young. Bobby Roode is busy with another program we'll talk about in a second. It does make me a little sad that it isn't like the rematch. I feel like that would have been a, a better all-around build. Yeah, and especially because like a big thing they talk about in like the first few minutes of this match is how good that first AMW Team Canada match was and how they're like reinventing tag team wrestling. And then it's like, well, it's Petey. And nothing wrong with Petey, but it's like, it's not the match. <laughs> should have just done Petey and Dustin. Yeah, they should have just uh, flipped those. And I get like they see Rude as the singles guy, so they're giving Rude the singles program with Dustin. A lot of good that will do him. But... Yeah, it would have been better off for everybody if it's just... Even this the way they worked this match, where, like, the first half of it is they took Harris out and they keep him on the outside. Because how good would have, like, Eric and Bobby been at that? Because, mm. like, they, they they play that that scrappy heel role of people who are, like, trying to use their surroundings to their advantage really well. You saw it in the other tag match. Yeah. Like, those two together are, like, have that kind of chemistry where they they can tell... Like on feel where they should be, mm. 
And I think that would have really lent itself well to this story. Yeah, and as it was with Storm just selling most of the way, it just it was just kind of dull. And it was also Storm selling for two smaller guys. I don't, that's not like a death sentence <laughs> or anything, but um, it, like with Bobby in there, it could have added a little more oomph to it. Yeah, and like Harris gets in, they they do all their stuff. A ones at ringside. There's also like the weird thing where there's like they don't explain that there's a stipulation. But there's two flags in the corner, so you're like, is it a flag match? And you're like, no. We worked out later. It was moral support. <laughs> yes, because they had the, the American flag and the Canadian flag in opposite corners. And then they're just there for set dressing, I guess. And then AMW come out with straps. And you're like, is it a strap match? And it's it's also not that either. That is kinky. Yeah, Dusty gave them permission earlier in the show, apparently, to run out with straps. So I'm just like, there's, there's too much going on. Feels very biased. Oh, that he did something to favor his boys, AMW? Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, go out there with straps. That's a cage match. There is no DQ, except where, when they do legal tags. But like, I don't know. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't say, "Hey, Team Canada, go out and bring hockey pucks." Mm-hmm. But they could have. They would have been be, DQ'd be, if they did. That'd be a great weapon for a cage match. You get a hockey puck in the cage, and you get the hockey stick <laughs> taking pot shots in the cage at people. I feel like there would be no way to work a hockey puck shot. <laughs> don't worry about it. Well, you work the puck, right? Okay. You make it, like, out of plastic or something. Mm, but then you wouldn't, it wouldn't, like, flow properly, would it? It would be too light. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure we can find a way. You would have to wait it. It'd be a fantastic spot, though. Yeah, especially for Team Canada. Well, but I imagine if, like, one of... Who do you think in Team Canada is the best, like, shooter? Probably Bobby. I was going to guess Eric. Mm. Ask, ask Scott. <laughs> who was the best hockey player in Team Canada? It's probably A1. No, specifically, who is the best, like, offensive hockey player? A1 looks like the guy who's probably least likely to be, because he's, like, a big guy, so he's probably not coordinated. But then it probably turns out it is him. Could be Johnny Devine. Johnny Devine does seem like a finesse kind of guy. Uh, PD hit a sick tornado DDT where he ran across the cage. It looked awesome. That was sick. Like I said, like, even their cage spots were variant, variable enough to stand out. Yeah, they did eight cage matches, and no one really did the same thing twice. There was, like, variations on the same thing, but nothing ba- too bad. Mm, well-agented, this show was. I just turned into Yoda. Well-agented, this show was. It's a great impression. Now do Obi-Wan. No, I am wise and boring. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch my show on Disney+. Plus. It's a bad show. All the Disney Plus shows are bad. People like the Andor one. Yeah, but... That's like the serious show, so I haven't watched it. So I can just say they're all bad because I haven't watched the one people say is good. I don't know. How does... Wait a minute. PD got a bunch of powder, Storm kicked it into his eyes, and then a blinded PD hit Eric Young with a Canadian Destroyer. AMW followed with a death sentence on PD to retain the World Tag Team titles. Yay. Yeah, good match. Nothing special. Nothing particularly memorable. And nowhere in the same league as the Team Canada AMW match from January. Nothing special. Nothing special, nothing special. But enough about that, let's get to Apollo and Sonny Siaki. <laughs> oh no. The dream team forms, the team everybody has been waiting for in TNA. The JAG combination that is Apollo and Sonny Siaki. JAG American Exchange. 5150 ain't nothing to mess with. Uh, I was going to say cop killer, but they changed it. Gringo to killer. TNA, didn't he? It's, not as, it's not bad, but it's no cop killer. Yeah, I don't think they thought they could get away with cop killer on tv <laughs> why it'd be so cool that's like a top 10 move name ever cop killer yeah specifically because of like it's such an abrasive name and then also the move is like i like death 
So now you have to talk about Apollo facing Sunny Siaki on the first impact of the monthly. Or no, it's the second impact of the month. Never mind. So they did a match, right? They did. And the idea was at the end, they're like, well, you you, you, got, you got me tonight, mate, but uh, but you're, you're a good guy. And we shake hands and we're, we're friends. Mm-hmm. So they tried that, but it's uh, bad. Then Kid Cash is homophobic. We'll talk about that in a sec. I feel like when you when you do that angle, which has been like done constantly, where two guys have a match and then they gain a mutual respect and become a tag Emmy team. Emmy award winning. Like like it's 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 a classic go to wrestling angle. Two guys gain mutual respect through wrestling and become a tag team. Like done it up and down. It's how the bar formed. Sheamus and Cesaro. So I feel like the only way you can do that is if you actually go out and they have a Baron burner. You know? Yeah, it kind of be like a. An okay TV two-minute match. If they go out there and tear it up and the crowd are going nuts and they're like, yeah, you know what? That kicked ass. You rule, I rule, handshake. We're pals, right? Garrett, imagine if Apollo and Sonny Ziaki had like a four and a half star press of the Super Junior style, like, <laughs> like just a banger. And they're both working like, like Sonny Ziaki at his absolute best. Like when he's in the X Division, like throwing dudes around as a mini Shingo looking guy. Him and Apollo doing that for like 15 minutes and it's awesome and the fucking Impact Zone's going nuts. Yeah. And then they're like, we should be a tag team, let's wrestle AMW and everyone's like, fuck yeah. Again, that ability to look into alternate realities. <laughs> I don't think there's a reality where that happened. It's just, that there's infinite realities here, there has to be one. No, 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 no. That's like the ultimate test of the the multiverse, that there is simply not one where there was like a four and a quarter star Apollo Sunny Siaki match in this show. <laughs> I like how we don't even have to extend it to five. Like, they they didn't get to like a, a, a spreadsheet level. There's there's probably not even like a three and three quarter star Sunny Siaki Apollo match in the universe. <laughs> you can go to any one of them. <laughs> I, I, that's... I've always thought about that, like, plan as a way of seeing, like, the really cool things in wrestling that could have happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, the idea of having that, uh, that that power and using it to see if, like, shitty wrestlers could have, like, one night great moments. <laughs> Looking across all of space and time to work out, could these two dudes who had a random TV match actually have a fucking banger? Yeah, I, I want to use. I want to look through all of space and time to see if Triton and Monty Brown, in any reality, had a had a four star match, or the entirety of Dusty Rhodes' booking regime turned around on that match actually rocking. <laughs> you like someone's watching me do it. I'm like shaking, this blood pouring from my nose, and they're like, "He's going too deep. You gotta pull back. It doesn't exist." Triton, like, no, Triton, <laughs> Triton. <laughs> My head explodes. <laughs> but you got there. You saw it. You had the brief moment of bliss. <laughs> before before my head explodes, you see a tear come down my eye. And I'm like, it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, this was not that universe. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to my point. My jaw really hurts from laughing this episode. It's a good episode, clearly. We should get you on Delirious more often. <laughs> I was going to do a Delirious impression, but I don't remember how to. So they they went out there and they had like a perfectly forgettable four minute match, so so that when they do like the handshake, oh, where aren't we pals now? It just feels like crap. No one gives a shit about either of these two either. Well, th- that's the problem. It's like somehow they're like, all right, Apollo, he was a real big deal in Puerto Rico, so he became a star somewhere. 
as one of our listeners told us on Twitter. Yeah, it gave us a little more context on that. Like, he was, like, a real proper big star. So, like, there's clearly enough in him to become a big star somewhere. It's Puerto Rico, it's not America. A place where, like, work rate isn't super important, obviously. But he's not even charismatic, that's the weird thing. But listen, it got over in Puerto Rico! He's just big. He is big and he does a good sidekick. Sometimes you just gotta be big. And you gotta do a good sidekick. But, like, alright, he got over in in Puerto Rico, he failed twice in America. Once while we masked him up as El Leon. So, trying this third time, how do we make it work? Oh, I know. Let's put with the jaggiest wrestler in the roster. The the only guy who could match his lack of charisma in the United States, Sonny Siaki. One guy in the roster who may be less of a guy than Sonny Siaki is Apollo. <laughs> in some ways, they're the perfect match for each other. Yeah. But in the ways of trying to make them successful, they're the worst match for each other. Yeah. Uh, Kid Cash and Lance Hoyt interrupt. And, like, Cash does, makes yeah. it even worse where he's like, what the fuck is going on with this love fest? That match sucked. <laughs> That's great. He's like, why'd you even like that? That match sucked. Yeah. <laughs> this is TNA wrestling, not TNA Puerto Rico. Yeah, not their Puerto Rican and Samoan soap opera. I'd love to debut a Kid Cash impression on his last day. Mm. You'll never have to use it again, you see. It's good It's good strategy. Yeah, go out on a high note. Cash suggests Yaki wants to get his hands on Cash sexually and declines. Ooh, oh. The baby faces chase off Cash and Hoyt. <laughs> I don't want to put my hands on you sexually. <laughs> get out of here! Listen, who wouldn't want to put their hands on Kid Cash sexually? Or Sonny Siaki, for that matter. Have you seen the coat? It's a very nice coat. This continues most of the way through the month, including the only TV main event worse than Fight Out the Slam, the main event of the <laughs> April 8th episode, Apollo vs. Kid Cash. This is a mess, huh? Not a good wrestling match. But, like, not even... A functional one. And also went nearly the full 10 minute time limit. <laughs> Just completely broke down. Yep. Siaki and Kid Cash would probably have a good match. They probably have had a good match. Didn't Cash beat Siaki for the X title? Or the other way around? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, maybe. I thought maybe there was something in between those two. But yeah. Because like, again, Sunny Siaki with the X Division guys is normally pretty good. And Kid Cash with the X Division guys is normally pretty good. Because <laughs> he is one. Tanae does announce during this match that the X-Division escape match, which we'll talk a little more about when we get to the X-Division, will be Shocker, Cash, Saban, and Shane. And he says the rules are that everybody starts in the cage, and then everybody looks to get out. But the last man in is the ultimate loser. To which I would ask, who wins? Yeah, the, the first guy to get a pin. They abandoned these rules anyway, so they clearly thought it was a terrible idea. It's because it is. You think they would have just announced this at the start of the show? Mm-hmm. Just because that was the match that had Saban and Michael Shane. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Garrett. <laughs> like, you're like, yes, that'd be smart. What? Your point? <laughs> it would be a better book show if they did that. I think they actually might have, but I don't think they explained the rules. I do think that they might have announced that there's an exhibition match. I can't remember. What, what do you expect me to do? Take more comprehensive notes? <laughs> what? What are they going to do, the listeners? Going to go watch Chris Saban versus Michael Shane from an April 8th, 2005 impact and tell us the difference? I doubt it very much. Yeah, I already took fucking 14 pages of notes. You want me to take more notes? Sorry, 15, dear is, lord. Yeah, this is this is directed at the ungrateful fan out there. Do I, do, why should I have to explain myself to you? <laughs> yeah, you come here for information about TNA? Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, this match. Uh, Hoyt interfered, allowing Cash to hit Apollo with a Rana, and then throw a chair right in his face, which I do always appreciate. Mm-hmm. 
Apollo hit a sky high, but Hoyt pulled the referee out and called for the DQ. They were at like 9.30 in the match of the t- of the 10 minute time limit at that stage as well. This is so bad. I do not know why this match went so long. I don't even know why this match existed. Siaki came out, they brawled, which was pretty good because a bunch of people threw chairs, which again, thumbs up. The opening match of the April 15th Impact, Michael Shane, Kid Cash and Dallas faced Chris Saban, Apollo and Sonny Siaki. They thought at this point, oh yeah, we should build something up, I guess, for everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, the the weird thing is, Cash is in the X Division Escape match. It makes truly no sense, Garrett. And I, it makes zero sense. I, I I don't know why they're doing this Lance Hoyt and Kid Cash against Apollo and Sunny Siaki program when Cash is not in a pay per view match with those men. I, it makes zero sense. And you might think, oh, they took him out of it and replaced him with Sanjay because Sanjay's the guy who ends up in Cash's spot in that match. No, he just got canned. He just got fired. It was Candido and Hoyt. I think that was meant to be the match all along. I'm getting high-pitched again. Sit out powerbomb by Hoyt and Apollo, followed by a cash frog splash, and they win this match. It's an okay match. Who cares? No okay match. Who gives a shit anymore? I want you to get super enthusiastic about Apollo. No one else is going to, so you have to. You're like, listen, Liam, your bit is that you pretend to like bad wrestlers until you genuinely start feeling that way about so them. So you gotta start early with Apollo. I, I can't do it. Yeah. We have a whole year of him. He has no redeemable factor. Unlike the other two times, he's not going away for a while. That's upsetting to hear. Fair enough, they never do anything with him. He's just an undercard tag team with Sonny Siaki. But he is here. Sonny Siaki has been here for like seven years. I don't know how this has happened. <laughs> he has never been worse off. I can't do it. I can't even do like faux interest. I'm sorry. Poor Apollo. That brings us to a, a calamitous match in so many ways. Lockdown, the opening match, Apollo and Sonny Siaki face Chris Candido and Lance Hoyt. So, very early into this match, mm-hmm. you go, ooh, oh, mm-hmm. as you realize what has just happened, and then you realize what that means. Yeah, it's a very innocuous spot where Siaki just does a leg lariat, and Candido takes a bump. It's, 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 again, it goes to that thing where people are always like, the XYZ is a dangerous move. And it turns out the worst injuries happen on, like, the most straightforward things in the world. Where it's just Siaki does a leg lariat, Candido takes a bump, Candido's leg gets stuck under him as he takes the bump, and he breaks his ankle. And we will, of course, we'll talk about this more in the next episode. That is the injury that leads to the end of Chris Candido's life, which... It, it makes it even worse when later in the show they show the injury, like, two or three times. Yeah. They show, like, multiple angles of the leg break... And, like, it's exploitative no matter what. And no one wants to see that no matter what. It's like when they did it with Enzo on the WWE show. Which one? The one where he got, like, flung into the ropes. Oh, yeah. By Scott? Scott? Not Scott. Is it Scott Gotch. Scott. What the fuck is that dude's name? Whose name? The Vaudevillains. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah, um, well, they threw him into the rope and he, like, whiplashed real bad. And they just replayed it all throughout the show. Yeah, and, and, like, the worst part is, I think the reason they replayed it is because this is, like, the super dangerous pay-per-view. So they're like, oh, great, we can sell it as the super dangerous pay-per-view. Yeah, we, ha- we had the, the, the cameraman with the helmet and the chest protector in on this match. Yeah, it's like, the dude dies days later. Days later? Days later! Really? Yeah! I thought, the, I thought it was, like, time. We'll talk about it on the next episode. But he, he works the TV taping. And then flies home, yeah. gets a blood clot in his leg, and he dies. Wow, I thought it was like some months later. What the fuck? Yeah. He was only 33, too. And like, he, he just turned his life around. Like, like he went through some real tough times. 
He was back on TV. He was doing well. He was in an act that I think was really working. And like, yeah. like there, there's r- reports right after the show that like he was oh he's worried. Everyone was like, oh no, we'll still book you while you're injured. And like that was apparently really reassuring to him because he was worried that like after he had just turned his life around, this might set him back again. And then he just dies. That's really sad. Mm. So yeah, we'll 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 talk about this more in the next episode, of course. Then they do the tag tournament, right? Yeah. I remember that because like the the no, we'll talk about it in the next episode because we'll we'll leave it until then to talk about it on the the hard justice episode. Yeah, after that, Lance Hoyt wrestled the match as a handicap match, which from a Lance Hoyt storytelling perspective turned out to work surprisingly by accident because he was meant to turn babyface in this match anyway. Hmm. So like, fair enough. It, it's not ideal that the two babyfaces two on one attacking him accidentally turned Lance Hoyt babyface before they turned him babyface. Siaki won with a splash. Hoyt hit like a moonsault. He did some cool shit. Which is again something that isn't great in a match like this mm. because it it just makes him look even more like a babyface. Yeah, but at least they're turning him. Yeah. Again, I wonder if that was a call ahead of time or not. Well, I, I would imagine the the finish was probably Hoyt gets pinned, they berate him, he fires back anyway, right? I guess. Could have gone either way, to be honest. Because it's a, it's a weird audible to send the naturals out, because surely you just have the baby faces, like if it's an audible, like the baby faces just win and you cut away, right? No, you can try and like save stuff too. Mm. Like if the naturals, are, the naturals are probably around considering Candido just came out, so... It could could have gone either way. Could it could have been planned, or it could have been something that they did on the fly. And I would I believe it either way. The naturals like give out to him that he lost after the match, and then he goes to choke Sam Stevens. They're like, no, 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 and then he goes to leave, but they jump him. And that's kind of the start of the babyface turn. So that brings us over to the X division. That's my second water. <laughs> Don't worry, we only have like half an hour to go. You know, people gave us gave out to us for a two and a half hour episode last time. So this is on you, not us. <laughs> Elix Skipper versus Christopher Daniels is your pay-per-view match, and that stems off of the Ultimate X match from Destination X, if you remember, when that got down to a triple threat match, Triple X teamed up on Styles, but then Daniels turned on Skipper, eliminated him from the match, setting this match in a motion. A swerve, to be honest. I mean, not a, like not a swerve, I guess, but like a swerve within character, not as a actually trying to swerve the audience. And I appreciate that it's not just a thing they did for the sake of that match, it's actually a thing they then brought forward to this pay-per-view match. Actually... A rare bit of good dusty booking in this match. Not dusty booking, but dusty booking. <laughs> is that, you know, it does set up your first challenger for Daniels to be Elix. Mm. So you also get the tag stuff. I think this is a, like, this is the perfect first challenger for Daniels. Yeah, because it's a guy he has history with. It's a, it plays off their biggest pay-per-view match. A guy he can beat easily. Yeah, a guy he can beat. A, a guy that you have a built-in story with. So Daniels isn't just going out there and wrestling Chris Saban. A good bit of booking in the X Division, no less. March 18th opens with Christopher Daniels wrestling Jarrell Clark. It's the opener of that show. X Division title has gone to Daniels' head as he slaps Clark before the bell, which I kind of liked. I was also going to say, we're continuing the thread of the first match post-pay-per-view being Christopher Daniels. Yeah, he has a belt now. He has to show it off. They love throwing Daniels or Skipper out as the first match post-pay-per-view. Yeah, they're really the the, the palate cleansers post-pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, I was very proud of myself that as J- Jarrell Clark made his entrance. I recognized him before he even they showed his face. What do you mean? I went, I went, hey, that's Jarrell Clark. Like you recognize his entrance theme? I entranced his theme and I recognized like him as like, for, like for me, because they do, they do the tunnel shot. Ah, right. And I was like, that's Jarrell Clark. You know that man's silhouette. Mm-hmm. I'm a real TNA guy now. <laughs> we could do like the who's that Pokemon, but with TNA wrestlers and you'll fucking ace it. Ooh, do that, but like with, yeah, with their, um, 
their tunnel shots. Mm. That'd be that's a fun game actually. Uh, Daniels hit a split like moonsault, but got off the pin on one and hit an angel's wings to pin Clark. I like the way that he's X Division champion now. It really is like he's a real bitch about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's again okay. I guess we can talk about here about like how I feel there's somewhat of a disconnect between his presentation and his character. Mm. We talked about it on the watch along, but I, I kind of had the a bigger realization this month of how I feel like there's a disconnect between Daniel's look and Daniel's character. He still does the fallen angel thing and he has like the cool entrance gear and you know, the, the tights that have the look on the side. And I was wondering, I was like, it doesn't really suit his character who he is. He's not like an actual spooky guy. Mm. He's, more of just a veteran wrestler who's cocky and who is the smartest man in the ring. And it came to my realization, like, you know, that he's doing the ring, he does the ring general thing now. And I think like that's kind of more of an appropriate thing for what he was doing back here. I was like, I wonder why he stuck to it so thoroughly. And it's like, it's just because it's, it's a cool aesthetic. <laughs> like that's, that has to be the answer is like, he's not actually doing anything spooky, but the fallen angel is a really cool nickname. <laughs> He has great Marilyn Manson knockoff music, and he's got a really cool he's got really cool entrance gear, so why not keep it as your aesthetic even if it doesn't necessarily mesh with the wrestling? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where when he was a wee young wrestler, he was like, This is all a cool act. This is who I, I, I can be. If he was yarding, he was yarding doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and then as he like got older and developed into who he was, and he like he was always like the old man of the indie scene. You know, he was always the the old head, the guy who's been around forever in like 2002. You know, the guy with experience, the guy who was the ring general, which is ultimately what his character kind of became. He still like kept the aesthetic, kept the fallen angel stuff because that that was who he was, even though his character kind of developed and moved on from that. So there there is like that aesthetic disconnect versus like, as you said, he doesn't do anything spooky. And there's times in TNA where they try to make the fallen angel thing like his actual character. And it sucked. Like, there was that time where he did it, like, post-Triple X split the first time, when they were doing his first little singles push, and he did that <laughs> stuff with Jarrett. <laughs> I just remembered the fucking turn. Yeah, and he was doing all the bad stuff with Jarrett. And then in, in 2007, they tried it again a little bit. where he, They gave him the, the eye face paint thing. Yeah, and he was, like, looking up to, to get a message from God before he'd do stuff, and that sucked too. So, anytime he did, like, lean into that as part of his character, at least in TNA, it didn't work. I think it it worked when he was in ROH because he was kind of like still doing what he was doing here, but he was also like a creepy cult leader mm. who was like brainwashing people who weren't as smart as him. Whereas you had James Mitchell doing that immediately in TNA. Yeah. It always felt like the plan was to put him with Mitchell and they just never quite got around it to it. Yeah, we did talk about that. That was like one of the original pitches for the new church that, was, that Daniels would be in it when he debuted and it just never happened. And then, like, yeah. fair enough, Mitchell hasn't been on the show in, like, two years at this stage. <laughs> but a year and a half. Which, it feels like every every week we're like, oh, this is going to be the one where Mitchell comes up. But yeah, so Daniel's not the spook man. Now he's just the super confident man. Actually, he's fucking great. Yeah. He is so good on these shows. He's become, like, a real highlight for someone that, like, we were talking about before. Had a stretch as a singles wrestler where he was disappointing whenever he was doing matches. Mm-hmm. But now he kind of feels like he's rolling with it and he's gained the confidence and the matches are hitting better and the the talking's always been on point, but now it's all sort of wrapping up in a, to a nice little package. Because we were talking about, he's probably the biggest success of Dusty's run. And that when we yeah. look at where he was when he was starting, which was like a, a kind of bad baby face triple X run, then they had the big split match and then Daniels like really found himself in that AJ stuff. 
where it's it's weird like they just shoved him on commentary every week and he was great he's like really good he's really like quick-witted he's really funny and clever and he he like knows how to spin every little thing Mike Tanay and Don West throw at him into a thing where he's like well I did this well oh that's a conspiracy against me Mike Tanay he's really good at that so he's like he's always on commentary and it's always a joy when he is he should put him on ROH with a uh, Caprice and Ian yeah so Daniels gloats about finally winning the title after the match, points out all the titles Skipper, Styles, and Killings had between them. Those were his opponents in Ultimate X. It's like all these NWA titles and all tag titles and all X Division titles they had between them. And I beat them all! And Skipper comes out and he's like, I know you, Daniels. Mr. TNA? <laughs> and just leaves. Aren't. It was. It's very good. Like, it's just completely dismissive of Christopher Daniels. So April 1st Impact had a long feature running down the history of Christopher Daniels and Neelix Skipper. It was like all all their tag team history, them coming together, them breaking up, them coming back together, them... I liked it. uh, Breaking up. Uh, I thought it was great. It had one fatal flaw. Did you notice what it was, Liam? Well, the thing that I noticed, so maybe it was the same thing that you noticed, was when they first showed them teaming, Mm -hmm. with the idea that this was when they had first formed, they were using footage... Of when they were in a six-sided ring. Yeah. Is that what you were talking about? No, it had a much more fatal flaw that you seem not to have noticed. That there was no Loki? No, not even that. This feature ended with a plug for a Christopher Daniels versus Elix Skipper X Division title match at Lockdown. Liam, what was the main event of this show? Oh, they were going to determine that fact. (laughs) They accidentally spoiled the finish of their TV main event. In this video package. Well, now I look like a curmudgeon because I look like I've really picked apart the video. <laughs> yeah, it's like all these different flaws in the video. It's like, no, you, you missed the big one and that they accidentally announced Skipper was number one contender before he became number one contender. I thought you were going to be on, you were going to be on their back about them using the six-sided ring footage <laughs> like I was. That's not original triple X. Because after that, they swapped to like talking about the tag match and the tag match was in the four-sided ring and I was like, ah, it's disconnected. <laughs> no continuity. But yeah, that's a that's a pretty like big. That's a pretty egregious one. That's a terrible continuity error. Like, come on, how does nobody catch that? Actually, you know what the worst part is? This is the third impact of a three impact taping. Yeah, you can tell because there's two matches on the card. Yeah, but like this would have been in the can for two weeks. Hence why they had the ad made. <laughs> it would be one thing if. It was like a tight turnaround, you know, they, they taped it this week, it's airing Friday. So, you know, they made a mistake, something slipped through. But it's like, no, they taped this weeks ago, and it still fucked it up. But that did lead us to our main event, Helix Skipper, Chris Saban, Michael Shane, and Petey Williams in a X Division shootout to determine the number one contender for Christopher Daniels at lockdown. It's at elimination rules, has a special 30-minute time limit, of which they go 21. They sure do. It's a real honest-to-goodness TV main event. That being said, it's not as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah, I think this is the match where I was talking about where if they shot this match on an impact where they were just taping one impact, I think the crowd would be much more engaged. But given this is the yeah. the, the last match of a three impact block, the crowd are just like, they're, they're not not into it, but they're not like super into it. They should have filmed this on the first taping set, but then put it in on the third. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, God forbid you ruin the pop that America's Most Wanted versus Fight Delta Slam gets. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to sabotage that match. Daniels is on commentary for the entire match, and I, I think he's great. He does a, a bunch of... He's a joy. Uh, ...of little things where, like, when Petey was eliminated after he got super kicked, uh, Daniels was like, damn, I really wanted to face Petey. <laughs> he was my pick. Oh, God. 
I like to throw out the match. He's like, oh man, I think Michael's really great and he could win. I think Petey's really great and he could win. Saban, tremendous athlete. He mentioned those three, but then wouldn't talk about Elix mm. at all. He's not in the match. He put over everyone else and then just would be silent about Elix Skipper. Yeah, so they were about to go to break and then they did a bunch of dives. And then we were told that dive sequence was sponsored by the right to bear arms by Larry the Cable Guy. I really, I rolled my eyes so hard when this happened. You have no idea. You didn't listen immediately to the right to bear arms Larry the Cable Guy's comedy album? You didn't get her done? No. I got it. Re- listen to it and review it for the show. No. If, if we gain 10 new patrons between now and the next episode going up, I will review Larry the Cable Guy's right to bear arms. Oh my god, that's like actually something that might happen. Let me check. I will tell you the exact number of patrons. We're on 65 patrons right now. If we get to 75, Garrett will do if it. If we get to 75 by the day the Hard Justice episode airs, you will get a Patreon review of the right to bear arms by Larry the Cable Guy. From Garrett. Just me, apparently, not Liam. No. Michael Shane is Michael Shane again, by the way. Michael Shane again. So he went from Michael Shane to Michael to Matt Bentley back to Michael Shane. Apparently, they had Bob Ryder look through the trademarks, and he's like, actually, no, it won't hold up. Uh, given the fact he ends up being called Matt Bentley, I think they were wrong. <laughs> Bob Ryder's really fucking it up for everyone. Mm. So P went for the Canadian Destroyer. Shane super kicked him and eliminated him. Daniel says it was PDU relaunched to the face. Skipper eliminated Shane with a sudden death, and it came down to Skipper and Saban, which ended with a phenomenal sequence where Saban went awesome. Went for like a awesome a tilt a world DDT thing, but Skipper immediately smoothly countered it into the sudden death for the win. It looked so cool. It was like so fast. They did it so quick. It was awesome. If Elix Skipper's thing became hitting the sudden death out of wacky exhibition shit. Mm. I would be very into it. Oh, Skipper did a cactus clothesline in this match as well and landed on his feet, which rocked too. He's a hell of an athlete. He is very good. He is very athletic. Skipper and Daniel stared each other down at the announce table because that will be, as revealed earlier in the show, <laughs> your exhibition title match at Lockdown. <laughs> April 8th, a backstage segment. Skipper was just talking to a dude and Daniel's walked up. And he was like, you really want this match, Elix? And Skipper's like, yeah, I want this match. <laughs> it's like, even in a cage? Remember last time we were in a cage? You got pinned last time we were in a cage. He's like, yeah, I, I still want the match. And I was like, you know, you know I'm better than you, right? Still, sure? I was the good guy in Triple X. You, you know that, okay? Yeah? And Skipper, Skipper's like, I, I want the match. <laughs> he starts poking him. It's like, you really want the match? Oh, he, when he was poking him, it like made me angry for him. I was like, don't you fucking poke me. <laughs> Where Skipper maintained his cool, he did not rise to Daniel's taunts. I would have risen. Like the fallen angel. Yep. Well, he would have felt, he, he fell, he didn't rise. And then Daniel's is like, oh, you want it so bad, why don't we do it right now? And Skipper's like, nah, with the lockdown. And once again, it's like, Mr. TNA. It's pretty good. Also, Saban beat Michael Shane on this show. Oh, yeah, because we are also building to the X Division escape match. So most of the people who lost the shootout have been moved into the escape match, except PD. So Saban and uh, Shane move into that match alongside, as announced originally, Shocker and Kid Cash. And they will face in an escape match. Shocker. To determine the next contender for hard justice. Shocker. Shocker. So April 15th, Christopher Daniels defeats Mikey Bats. Elix Skipper and Dusty Rhodes Book have joined commentary. Of course. There is a, a bunch of product placement for Dusty's book. I hope he paid for that. Garrett's book review of Dusty Rhodes book coming at 85 patrons. <laughs> it's all work for me, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want to do it. That's why. <laughs> you know what, guys? 95 patrons. I'll re- review the latest Gleet for you. <laughs> oh, Leo will watch the thing he likes, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, Ref is bumped. Bats hits the Bats beater, which is kind of like the Rey Mysterio stunner gimmick. Bats goes for the pin. Skipper runs in and counts the three. But then Daniels boots Skipper out of the ring, hits an Angel's wings on Bats and wins. Skipper should know that uh, that's not how that works. No, he's a he's a licensed official. Prove it. You prove he isn't. Uh... Guilty until proven innocent. You can actually say the fact that the match wasn't awarded to Mikey Bats is a sign he's not a licensed official. But Yeah, so the fact that the match wasn't awarded to Mikey Bats is a sign that he's an illegal official. Damn! <laughs> Got him. But yeah, the gimmick is that Skipper counted him down. They didn't really do anything with this. It was, it's like an angle that they, they kind of did. It was mostly just to embarrass him. For... There was no, like, no follow-up on it. There was nothing like that. It's just, that, it's just an angle they did. Uh, Go Home Show had a package with Daniels. He had a new promo talking about how great he is, how he's an ideal that young people can live up to as X Division champion. And they also ran down the top five cage match moments in TNA history. Surprise, Skipper Cagewalk was number one. Did you agree with this top five? Oh, so yeah, the top five was Chase Stevens Moonsault, which I think should have been higher than five. Uh, that that would have been my number like two. Uh, a Tower of Doom spot from Turning Point, which okay. Uh, the death sentence off the cage from the first AMW Triple X match, which did rock. That'd be my number three. The funniest one being Hardy missing a swanton on the best Tamps Fork show. <laughs> my god. The number two moment in a cage match in TNA history. Not AJ Styles beating Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title. Let's leave that one out. No, it has to be a move, Garrett. It's a moment. That's a moment. It has to be a move. AJ Styles inzigorying the guitar then. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's Hardy missing a swanton. But yeah, that takes us locked down in a match that was pretty well built. And then ended up being kind of disappointing. <laughs> Daniels defeated Skipper to retain the exhibition title. Yeah, this wasn't great. It was just kind of dull. Kind of there. They uh, they worked the wrong kind of match, I feel. They tried to do like, uh, we're going to work body parts in this cage match. Slow it down. When they, they probably should have just gone out there and tried to bang it out in 10. I appreciated all the low-key references throughout this. Mm-hmm. They did a bunch of low-key poses and kicks and stuff. No, they were pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you thank you but i've lost my train of thoughts yeah it was just a it was a regular ass match it, it didn't do a lot for me it, it did kind of expose like everyone's always like why wasn't he the skipper pushed and it i think it turns out he was just a much better tag team wrestler though he did have that match against sanjay that kind of rocked at the start of the year but he just he just never hit it as a singles guy and it's unfortunate because he has like some of the parts and he's pretty charismatic but he's just he's just not that interesting as a wrestler. Yeah. Unless he's doing cage walks. Though he did do the cage walk and he's immortalized forever. Feats of athleticism. Ah, he's bread and butter. Yeah, it will be my personal mission to make sure that Elix Skipper is immortalized until I die. So, when I, when I die, I can't make any promises. But until I die, I will keep Elix Skipper's Don't name worry, alive. Garrett. Eventually, the heat death of the universe will erase all human history and nothing will matter. So. Or I'll just program the AI of me to continue to keep Elix Skipper's name alive. Until all the servers are melted by the heat death of the universe. Ah, yes. The other match on that show is the X Division Escape match, which was Shocker, Chris Sabin, Michael Shane, and returning Sanjay Dutt. In tights! In tights, indeed. No more bin bag pants. Good. Despite my love of shiny pants. They already struck a deal for Sanjay to return. He was meant to return on the TV taping after this, but... They brought it forward because Kid Cash obviously was fired. So Sanjay took Kid Cash's spot in this match. Against Dusty's will, apparently. It was another talent decision forced on Dusty. He doesn't want Sanjay. Uh, But everyone loves Sanjay, so you gotta do it. It's just one of those things. It's like, when you have to put Buck Quatermain on your television show as often as you do, imagine if Sanjay was in the place of Buck Quatermain. And then, like, take, for example, the DDP and Sean Waltman versus Sanjay and Chris Sabin. Imagine that match instead. 
be a good match. Because you have a good wrestling. Yeah. It's a good match. I just want to talk about my man, Shocker. Yeah, go on. Go off, King. I love this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy's great. Mm-hmm. He does a cool fucking crazy little pose. Yeah. He's got charisma. He does. Great look. Wrestles his ass off. Has a great pickup. And Dusty Rhodes is right. I take it back. Take back every bad thing I've ever said. Shocker does have two other TV matches this month. He wrestles David Young on the first impact of the pay-per-view cycle. He beats Which is okay. David Young with his... Uh, Mike today once again reenacts the McDonald's commercial during that match. <laughs> Uh, he wins with his finish, which is a hammerlock small package that he calls the Shockwave. And then he teams with Jeff Hardy. Yes, uh, March 25th in fact, it's Jeff Hardy and Shocker against David Young and Lex Lovett. Uh, which is a very Liam match, considering the person I like least in that is Jeff Hardy. You like Dave, Jeff Hardy less than David Young? Yes. Oh. <laughs> and Lex Lovett, obviously. And like, he didn't even question that one. Well, yeah, he's your favorite, of course. Shocker. Shocker. So that does bring us to the, the cage match. It's nice to have Sanjay back. He's a good wrestler. Yeah, especially now that he got rid of the bin bag pants. So the updated rules to this match is that it's escape the cage when it gets down to the final two elimination rules until then. The quote-unquote big story note is on one of the impacts before the pay-per-view. Trinity just strolls up to Michael Shea and she's like, I like your style. Michael Shea's like, thanks. And she's like, I think I, I think you and I, we, we go places together. And then Tracy walks up and she's like, grrr. She's like, that was my man of four months ago. <laughs> whom I abandoned and the other person who was with him is now gone. For work. Because I'm a career-focused woman. Mm. So Shane is now accompanied to the ring by Trinity. What could this mean? What could it mean? Uh, Shane eliminates Dot with a super kick. And then Shocker follows with a corkscrew elbow to pin him. Uh, Tracy shows up, Trinity climbs up the cage, and fucking just moonsaults off it. Which, you know, does kind of prove your point that she is the better manager. <laughs> yeah, Tr- Tracy never did a moon. She did some pies in the sky, but she never did a moonsault. Pie in the sky is disgusting, though. <laughs> you get upset every time that comes up. It's ridiculous. Moonsault looked awesome, too. Yeah. It kind of bums me out that Trinity didn't hang around long enough for the actual knockout division. Yeah. Like, it's funny to see, like, th- this is the month where Gail Kim was released. This is the month, AJ mentioned it in that interview. It's like, Gail Kim was released this month. About, we're about to see it happen. Where that sets in motion the launch of the Knockouts division. Sets in motion a lot of things. Yeah. Moving forward. A true women's revolution, some might say. If they want to get sued, sure. Again, you, you look into your alternate reality machine, and if WWE never released Gail Kim, what does women's wrestling and impact or TNA look like? Um, I di- I, actually, I just did it, Garrett. I found out what happened. What? Uh, they released it like a month and a half later. Oh. Well, it all worked out then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she hits the moonsault off the, the cage. It rules. Tracy then gets in the ring and Shane just launches her out. Yeah, how rude. He, he's not a good relationship with his old manager, but he turns around saving Cradle shocks him for the elimination. With his old girlfriend either. Yeah. Listen, the new franchise is long dead. Long live the old franchise. <laughs> Saban and Shocker climb the cage. They're hanging off the, the other side of the cage. Then Saban slams Shocker into the cage while they're both dangling. That causes Shocker to fall. Chris Saban is like, oh fuck, he's falling. Shocker hits the ground first, Saban hits a second later, Shocker wins. Do you think, was this meant to be like a, they both land at the same time thing, or do you think it was meant to be Shocker wins? No, I think that was the finish. The idea that Saban hits Shocker's head off the cage, which caused Shocker to fall, and then Saban's like, fuck. <laughs> I really have done this to myself. Yeah. Which isn't a great way to crown a number one contender that his opponent accidentally caused them to win the match. But that's probably neither here nor well, there. Well, you can, you can run it back in a singles match on Impact. Ah, he's undeserving. He only won because Chris Saban kicked too much ass. <laughs> the best wrestling story. 
which means that uh, you know Saban has a gripe, and that's a that's a free TV match to give Shocker some more momentum ahead of his Daniels match. Yeah, so he will face Daniels at the pay per view next month. Hard justice. I'm excited for that. That that pay per view is rounding up to look pretty good with the two uh, the two matches that we know so far. Yeah, and it's a three week build as well, so I'll be pleased. Perfect though. It's not. It's the rare company where it's like, oh, how can they build a pay per view in three weeks? It's like they can't build a pay per view in six weeks. They'll be fine. Yeah, they can barely build a pay-per-view, so just let them try, okay? Mm. Best of the rest, starting with Rude and Dustin Rhodes. March 25th, Impact. There's a backstage interview with Dustin. Franchise has him. He's talking to him, and he's like, you will face Bobby Rude at the pay-per-view, which is news to me. <laughs> That's where it's announced. It's news to everyone, I think. And it's like, all right. And then uh, Rude comes up, and he's like, a Canadian has never kicked a Texan's ass. DeBoer is not pleased at the suggestion and Rude says he'll prove Canada is better than Texas at the pay-per-view. And then we were like, I can name some wrestling matches in which Canadians have whooped Texans. Yeah, Brett and Sean. You fuck. <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> you name another one, pal. Uh, the Undertaker and Brett. It's always Brett, isn't Steve it? Steve Austin and Brett. Brett gets his ass kicked a lot. Fuck you. You stole my, my big one. <laughs> From the watch along. Go listen to the watch along and see who said that first. You have to pay ten bucks to find out. Really hard selling people on this show. <laughs> I don't know, man. We're at four hours. I feel like I've done four hours of work. I deserve to get <laughs> get get paid for four hours work. April twenty second, impact. Dustin was on commentary talking about something. Nothing really. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Ru just waffled him in the head with a chair. It was awesome. It was a good chair shot. He attacked him from uh, out of out of the darkness, which of course was symbolizing. The fact that they were going to have a Prince of Darkness death match. Which again was the only place that was announced. I think it might have been on the scroll again, but they never said it on one of their six television shows building to this pay-per-view. On the scroll again. My favorite part of that rude sneak attack was Don West for a while after, because it led straight into the Naturals AMW match on the Go Home show. Don West was like, I tried to warn him, but I wasn't fast enough. I guess he didn't hear me. I just saw Rude coming out of the corner of my eye. I was like, Dustin, no, but he still got hit. No. Justin, no. So that does lead us to a Prince of Darkness death match at lockdown. The rules of which are a two out of three falls where the first two falls are normal regular ass falls. I guess they're technically cage matches. And then the third fall is a blindfold match. This is the end of this Dustin Rhodes run. We won't see him for another two years. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> I'll take it back, baby. I'm ready. Let's go. Of course, he's still one on the way out. Yeah, what the fuck? It's clearly the sign that his dad's booking power is, is running out. That's what I call a dusty finish. But yeah, D- Dustin raps here until Black Rain. Get it. That's his dad. Well, his dad hangs on for another month. His dad is ousted right before Hard Justice. Hard Justice, baby. So Rude grabs a quick pin, feet on the ropes. Dustin gets the second fall back with a top rope bulldog, and then they do a blindfold match. Which is pretty good bulldog. And you said this was the best part of the match and that you'd love blindfold matches now. I did bury blindfold matches because they are the worst wrestling stipulation. But also they had a bad match beforehand and they did some silly bits in the blindfold match. So I'll, I'll be on board for that. Yeah. Where it's like they, they were feeling around and then Rudy got in between the two of them. And Dustin and Rude hit Rudy at the same time. Took out the rep. Demore launched a chair in the ring from the floor. Good toss. And then he got in, he was about to hit Dustin with a hockey stick, but then Rude just swung a chair at a blindfolded Rude, swung a chair at Demore. There's some fun little spots here. And then uh, they did tie it back together, because then Rhodes kills Rude with a chair shot for the win. So that uh, he got the chair shot back from the go-home show of the TV. So there's a, there's a little bit of storytelling. Small bit. Teensy bit storytelling. 
Triton. Triton. That does take us to Triton, of which there is one match. And it was whatever. It was Triton versus guess who? Buck Quatermain. <laughs> Please say guess who Buck Quatermain every time. Now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Frankie Kazarian. It's not who get you guessed it. It's guess who Buck Quatermain. Guess who? It's Buck Quatermain. <laughs> it's funny that Triton goes from this like super duper pushed act who's on every episode of TV is building to a big pay per view match against Monty Brown, and then he just gets one TV squash. Against Buck Quatermain. You couldn't even have, like, Monty come out and kill him or something. Nope. Get his heat back for the stupid match. It's just one TV squash. Triton wins with an F5 that Tanae and West say is called the T-Tree because literally nothing about this man is original. Also, name yourself after a good Terminator movie. T2? Or T. I can't remember. I was going to say one of the new ones, but I can't remember the name of any of the new Terminator movies. And I've seen, like, two of them. Terminator Genesis, that's one, right? Terminator Bound for Glory. That's not a Terminator movie. Terminator Sacrifice. Still no. Could have been. Oh, I see what you're doing because one of them was a TNA pay-per-view name. <laughs> there you go. Again, I, I'm like five, we're, it's it's nearly five o'clock in the morning for me. I, I'm quite late to your bits. Terminator Victory Road would be really cool though. It was like a, a Mad Max Fury Road style. Mm-hmm. Terminator Unbreakable. So you have three LK turmoil. I'm not even going to bother looking up the segments. So through the month... <laughs> I'm just going to lay you down real quick. There, There's a, a story that carries over from last month where... Well, let me just move my mic under my face. All right. You are hitting so many buttons on the show notes right now. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> the cord is hitting seven. Plus seven, 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 seven. I'm going to leave that in the show notes. So that when you go to tnhad.com or patreon.com slash kidding me and look at the show notes... You, <laughs> the hard sell. This is the hard sell. You can see the moment Liam accidentally lied on his keyboard like a big doofus. No, it was the cords from my microphone. So there is the story running from last month where Conan is not entirely trustworthy of BG James because of the debuting outlaw. He thinks they're in cahoots. He thinks they're doing stuff together. He's like, I don't trust you, outlaw. I don't trust you at all. He thinks he's um talking to Takeshita. That's what it is. <laughs> Why? Do you not? Did, have you not seen the the Conan Takeshita beef? Oh yeah, the, the the fucking Eddie Guerrero thing. Yeah, he's like. Only Mexican people can do that. <laughs> oh, Conan. So there's a singles match. Conan beats Eric Young at one stage. He's like, I gotta do this by myself. And 3LK have a tag match without him for killings. And BG face PD in A1, which they win, by the way, which is weird given PD is in the tag title match at the pay-per-view. Okay, well, actually, I can't believe uh, we got through this without mentioning this point that I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. They had the X Division champions losing all credibility as soon as they lose the belt. Daniels? No, no, the Exhibition Champions. Oh, of the past. right. Yeah, because PD's just a giant dork now. Yeah, and like Saban, like is there but doesn't feel like a guy. Same with Bentley. Mm. It feels Same. like the Exhibition is this place where you get a push, you win the title, and everything looks real good. And then as soon as you drop the title, you become essentially a job guy who just does multi mans on the show, and it's really disappointing. Because if, whenever they do have the title, they really they pushed well. I think Saban was pushed well when he had the title. I think M- Michael Shane was a big deal on the show when he had the title. And same with Petey. And then as soon as they lost them, they just become Jags. Yeah, because there, there's either two roles you play as an X-Division wrestler. Where you're either champion or you're just an X-Division wrestler. Yeah. And whoever is not champion is just an X-Division wrestler. 
There's not two pushed acts in the X Division at the same time. Well, there is. There's champion, there's number one contender, and then there's everyone else. And everyone else never does anything. Unless you're an AJ who moves up to the heavyweight. So you, you, when you're not champion or number one contender, you are literally just completely expendable on this show. Yeah. And it just it sucks to see, because these guys were really good when they were given that opportunity. Even here, the April 15th match, which is BG and Killing is against PD and A1. PD Williams is about to challenge for the tag titles on the pay-per-view. And he, like even the story here, like the story is Conan's not here with them, because he doesn't trust them. So surely the story should be when Conan's not there, they lose. And then Conan comes back and they win, right? Yeah. Whereas Conan was absent, and they just still beat A1 with the axe kick. And then yeah, it's, it's the same thing later, where it's like Eric Young, and the same show, is challenging for the tag titles next. <laughs> and the whole idea, he's wrestling Conan in a singles match, Conan's out there by himself with no trail K, so the whole idea, again, should be Conan doesn't succeed without his pals, except he just wins! <laughs> now, you're forgetting one key component. What? Uh, that BG and Conan are really sick of playing ball and losing. Mm. There, there's a, a long discussion from Don about Conan's girth and width in this match. He's a thick man. He's a wide human being. Conan Pill pinned Young with a power bomb, and then Trio K. They came back together in the last Impact of the Month, where they beat Love at Quartermain and David Young. As I said, the, the bald Freebirds. Sing the song again, Garrett. <laughs> Freebird. Uh, the highlight of which was Conan threw his shoe, which he regularly does. But when he won, all the fans in the crowd took their shoe off and raised their shoe to Conan in celebration. If they all started drinking out of them, it would have been an Australian national holiday. You would have loved this. This would be your favorite match in TNA history. I would have done a shoey with them on the show. And they're only the only um, the interaction in this story we already covered, which is BG and the Outlaw having some face-offs in the Lethal Lockdown match at Lockdown. And that is it. <laughs> that is it. That is April 2005. A month that existed. Yeah, that was a weirdly exhaustive episode. Like, for for a month of TV that was okay. But yes, it it was still six weeks of TV. That's true. And a pay-per-view. And two four-star matches. Pretty good. That's, that's, That's a good hit ratio for TNA. That being said, I'm fucking exhausted. He really took us out of us. I can't even do words. I started, I, I logged in at 11.30. It is now 3.30. 3.45. 4.45 a.m. for me. Thank you very much. We did, in fact, cover this show in death. <laughs> Fuck you. How did you remember to bring that around from the, the first sentence of the day? That is what we call being a podcast professional, my friend. You know what that was, Garrett? What? That was the aforementioned foreshadow. Whoa. All right. That is Lockdown 2005. We'll be back in two weeks with the Hard Justice 2005 episode. We'll be back in about a week with the uh, DDT4 episode of Gorilla Radio in your Patreon feed. You can look forward to that. The watch-along of uh, Lockdown 2005 is sitting right now in your Patreon feed. Patreon.com slash gettingmeyourtnhat.com Follow us on Twitter at TNHistoryPod. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kinney. Follow Liam on Twitter at TheGleetMuta. Subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got To Be Kidding Me and follow us on TikTok at TNA History. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. Dude ending. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.